This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 186 for Thursday, May 30th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that when you leave your message. All right, so MTR 186, a lot of big news before we get into anything this week. For those of you just tuning in, uh, My Take Radio is now being broadcast live via Blog Talk Radio, Mixler, and as of, I'd say, two minutes ago, we are part of the GFQ Network. For those of you that don't know, that is the uh, GFQ Network run by Andrew Zarian, with shows such as Mat Men, uh, The Ball Truth, uh, behind the ca- beyond, uh, excuse me, behind the counter, and a whole bunch of other unique programs. You can check out our announcement on mytakeradio.com. And with that, we've added the new chat, which is the GFQ chat, in the listen tab on mytakeradio.com, along with the player showing all the different GFQ shows, including, of course, MTR. For those of you that are in that tab. On MyTakeRadio.com, you'll see the chat there, the instructions to change your username from GFQ Viewer to whatever you want are on the page. And just in case, make sure to scroll up and the instructions are there as well. So really pumped actually to reach a brand new audience. But with it, of course, it's kind of reintroducing a lot of people to MTR. So um, we're going to do things a little differently just to start it off this week. Uh, for our GFQ listeners, uh, My Take Radio covers MMA, video game, pro wrestling, and entertainment news. Of course, this show is for mature audiences due to strong language and adult content. Figured I'd put that disclaimer out there in case anyone listening is sensitive. So um, the fact is, one of the things going forward, we're going to try and just kind of keep things condensed and try and make sure that we don't go over our three-hour broadcast uh, limit on Blog Talk Radio. But if we do, of course, we do simulcast on Mixler and uh, the very talented Suncast from GFQ. I'll let him know if we go into overtime. Anyway, that's the big news. You can get all the details by heading over to MyTakeRadio.com. And with that, let's get into this week's show. We got a lot to discuss. Ben is going to be joining us to talk about uh, this past weekend's UFC card, We got a lot to talk about on the wrestling front. We got some gaming news. 
which after our lengthy discussion on Xbox One last week, I actually got a couple of different emails from a few different people about it. Some people agreed, some people disagreed, and um, you know we'll make we'll we'll take it as it goes. Personally, the Xbox One news from last week pretty much divided the game industry as a whole, and I'll get a I'll get into that a little further in our gaming segment. But as always, if you guys want to chime in, you can call in three four seven three two four. Three five four one. So before we start the MMA news for this week, I wanted to share that I got to. Um, I wanted to share. We went to check the Fast and Furious Six film at a movie theater that recently got renovated by us, and I wanted to talk about the um, the really really awesome feature that this particular theater has, and I'm hoping I start seeing it across the board in other theaters. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is reserve seating now reserve seating is is pretty cool in the sense that if you buy your tickets either at the box office or via you know fandango you'll actually get uh, an image of the theater and you'll be able to choose what seats you want the beauty of this is obviously you'll see if the theater is sold out or you'll see if you know what seats are available and this works for a multitude of reasons some people like to sit further back some people like to sit in the middle etc etc and it works really well, and I think it's probably one of the best features besides stadium seating that I've seen. This particular theater, it's the uh, the AMC Lowe's here in New York City in Queens, and they, um, like I said, they have reserved seating. All the seats are recliners, leather recliners, well, probably pleather recliners that recline all the way back practically to when you're laying down. They have the uh, the special Coke machine where you can mix all the different flavors of Coke products, which is kind of cool. But like I said, the reserve seating was good. We got to see Fast 6. You can see the review on MyTakeRadio.com. And the cool thing was you go in there, you reserve your seats. Everything is numbered like a stadium. You sit down, you watch your movie. But as as with any trip to the theater, there's always some some interesting things going on, particularly a lot of people coming in and thinking that they can pull the old, I'm going to sneak into this movie theater uh, strategy that's been used time and time again in countless other theaters. But every time somebody tried to sneak in and take a seat, a person would come in there and say, hey, you know, you're in my seat, so the person would have to scram. Um, we actually had that incident when a young guy who was seating, seated behind us with a girl had two seats and there was an empty third seat. Girl's family comes over, says, listen, you know, this, you guys are in her seat, blah, blah, blah. But if you want, she can sit at the end and you guys can move down. So the guy was, was super cool with it. Young lady sat down. So about halfway into the first uh, couple of trailers, which were actually not as good as I would have expected for a Fast and Furious film. It was just the usual trailers that we've seen. Um, not even the really cool Superman trailer that I shared recently was shown. Um, but... About halfway through the trailers, guy taps me on the shoulder. He's like, hey, man, I think you're in my seat. And I go, uh, don't think so, because I bought these tickets the day before. And, you know, I don't think I don't, I don't think that's right. So the guy's like, all right, man. And he goes, since the guy pretty much didn't put up much of a fight, I figured either he snuck in or he was just trying to get over. Sure as shit, Usher comes in about five minutes later, asked the guy to see his tickets. Guy had tickets for the nighttime show. Guy tried to be tried to be slick and use the nighttime tickets to sneak into the early show. So needless to say, he got the boot. But like I said, 
reserve seating is a is a tremendous tremendous perk. Love that shit. That I usually I like going to to the IMAX theater that myself and the rest of the MTR staff go to, but I think the whole reserve seating definitely sold me in this particular instance and I'm kind of glad that it's working so well. The theater I'm looking most forward to seeing is going to be the Alamo Theater which has super strict rules and you know they serve alcohol and all that stuff and food and they really make a, a an awesome theater going experience for me personally I think I'm looking forward to seeing the the strict policies in force with the Alamo theaters here in New York City you know in other words you talk you run your mouth you text you do anything disruptive they warn you once second time they throw you out and that's something that not a lot of theaters reinforce because of obvious reasons, but that's one of the things that Alamo prides itself on, so I'm really looking forward to it. There's one there's one Alamo theater, I believe, in Connecticut, and I just, I just don't feel like driving out there, but they're supposed to be opening two of them, one in Manhattan and I believe one in Brooklyn. So I'm actually looking forward to that. I'm not going to spoil anything from Fast 6, so you guys can check out the review. The only thing I will say is make sure you stick around and don't run out of the theater as soon as the the film fades to black because there is um, some some after the credit stuff. So you know, just be on the lookout for that. All right, so we're gonna get the ball rolling with some MMA this week. I'm sure Ben will be joining us at 11:30. So with that said, let's get at least into the MMA news for this week. And when Ben comes in, we'll talk around. We'll talk about the this past weekend's UFC card and some of the other MMA news. So the big news going on the last couple of hours has been a situation that has developed with Tito Ortiz and his partner, his baby mama, his, I, I guess his wife, I don't even know the specifics, uh, Jenna Jameson. And basically what's been happening is Tito Ortiz, he had two kids with Jenna Jameson, recent, not recently retired, but he's been out of the sport for a minute. And what's happened is Jenna Jameson has decided to take to Twitter earlier today and just dropping all kinds of napalm with regards to Tito Ortiz, including Tito Ortiz preventing her from seeing her kids and um, also accusing Tito Ortiz of drug use, etc., etc. The thing about it that kills me is just that she started posting pictures of drugs in Tito Ortiz's drawer, which was ridiculous. And you couldn't really even check out all the drugs that were there. But, um, you know, it wasn't the, the one that I saw the most, I think, was a prescription strength ibuprofen. She had some syringes on some of the photos. Just really, really crazy stuff. And Tito actually released a statement on it, which I want to share with you guys. But I just noticed that the AC is on here in this room and I don't want it to come out in the audio. So let me just cut that off. There we go. Much better. I just realized I'm like, I'm like, huh, I hear a buzzing in the background and it was the AC. So I apologize if that was bugging any of you guys that were listening anyway so Tito Ortiz released a statement about you know all the rumors and stuff Jenna Jameson put out there and he it's weird because Tito Ortiz for as long as I followed his career he's not like a party dude he's he's more about his family and his kids and his marriage or his relationship with Jenna Jameson has been really really crazy to the point that it's been detrimental to his career 
to some degree. I think that the the thing that gets me the most is that they um you know, she goes out there, she she says all this crazy stuff, they make up, things are on the up and up, then things just to go go straight to hell. So with this particular instance, you know, he said the following with regards to it. He goes, I just try to be honest and never step on anybody to get ahead and show my kids the right way to live. I'm doing that. Jenna Jameson never had a mother. Her father was never there, but I can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. I'm just trying to do the right thing and take care of my kids and do what's right and not hurt my kids future. She's doing that already by going on the internet and saying that I have drug abuse, that I fake drug tests with the UFC, this and that, whatever. I worked hard. So, you know, I had been a world, a world champion before I even knew this chick. Since I've been with the girl, I've tried to help her and I went outside the box to try and help. She ruined me. What? I won two fights since I was with her and lost seven. I went through so much drama. All my fans know all the problems I had with her during my fights. It seems like every time I had a fight coming up, she was getting a DUI or she was on the internet or she was partying or just kind of ruining me mentally before my fights. It seems like every time that I had a fight coming up, she she was just doing something crazy. For her to say I keep her from seeing her kids is BS. I give her the opportunity and she flakes out. She doesn't show up. We have monitored visits. She calls the monitor and says she can't show up or that she can't afford it and this and that. But she's out every week celebrating her birthday. She's on her 12th birthday celebration this coming Friday in New York. I don't understand it. It's, um, you know, it, it it's crazy and I feel bad. I feel bad for Tito because it's true. He he lost a, a string of fights. He was dealing with a whole bunch of drama, but um, you know it, it it's it's insane. And and slick slick writes in the, <laughs> slick writes in the chat. She can't afford it. That bitch is rich. It's true. She's she's swimming in money. So I don't understand how she can't afford it. And I do. I truly do feel bad for Tito because he's he's not a bad guy. He's a little crazy. You know, he's a bit of a head case, but he, he's not a bad guy. He, he's done right with team punishment. He's done right by his athletes. Like I said, a bit of a head case. Yeah. His relationship with Jenna Jameson, did it affect his career? Absolutely. I think his relationship with Jenna Jameson was a tremendous detriment, and it really took the focus off a lot of the fights. I mean, one of the big incidents that happened was when Matt Mitrione said something about Jenna Jameson, and, you know, of course, Tito took offense, and he pretty much clowned her, but... Let's be real. It's kind of hard to not use that against Tito Ortiz because it's it's material that's easy to access. It's, you know, you can say, yeah, man, you know, he'll be like, oh, you, you're garbage. And he can say, say, yeah, but, you know, at least my old lady hasn't been on camera taken, you know, from a couple of guys, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's um, Slick just shared a stat via celebrity net worth that says that her net worth is $30 million. So for her to say she can't afford to go see her kids is a little crazy. Um, I don't even, I don't even know how to take it. I see that Ben is in the chat. Ben, let me know when you're ready to come on and I'll bring you on to discuss um, this UFC event. But the, the crazy thing is with this whole instance, the only people that are going to lose out are Tito's kids. Tito, he'll bounce back. He's managing some fighters. He's got team punishment. Jenna Jameson is just going to look more and more like a druggie. And like I said, it's going to hurt the kids in the long run. Anyway, Slick just informed me that Ben is queued up. Let me bring Ben on and uh, let's get into discussing this past weekend's UFC card. Let's see if the Ben, what's up, dude? 
What's up, man? Man, this 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 Tito Jenna situation, man. Tito Tito, we both know he's a head case, dude. But he do, he doesn't deserve that, man. He's a head case, and she obviously is a head case. Tends tends to be from what 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 uh what I understand that uh <laughs> porn stars tend to be head cases anyway. So yeah, he, but that's crazy. She was that, putting that situation has just gone out of control. She was putting pictures of the guys like medicine, his medicines on there. She was saying that he faked drug tests, which we know the UFC. They do pre-fight testing. They do testing weeks before the fight. They do post-fight testing. And she was saying that he used masking agents. I'm sorry, but I, looking at Tito Ortiz over the years, you would he just he's not a guy that looks like he's on performance enhancing anything. Guy has has solid cardio. He's, he comes out of a wrestling camp. Guy trains his ass off. Don't get me wrong. He'll get into like a car accident or crack his skull a couple of days before a fight, lose, and say that, you know, he swallowed his spleen and it came out through his armpit and that's why he lost. But Tito being a a, a performance-enhancing drug guy, never in a million years would I believe that. Yeah, that's... No, I don't I don't think that's an actual... I don't know. The, the, the whole situation seems absurd. Um, it seems like... It's her that is the one that has issues, especially because it's really hard for a man in that situation to get full custody of your children yep. unless there's something wrong with the the, the woman. Like, it's right. really hard. So something is wrong with her. Like, they don't just give – they wouldn't just give Tito Ortiz those kids. Something is wrong with her, and she's now out here probably just lying. Yeah, but think about this. The chick is swimming in oodles of money. For for you to not be able to go out, especially if you have monitored visitations, like all you all you got to do is just talk to the monitor and be like, yo, does this chick show up? And that's it. I mean, Tito's probably going to come out on the winning end. And don't get me wrong. She got money. She could probably hire the, the best lawyers in the world. But, but you know, she's been in the news lately. She beat up like her assistant who was like a tranny and a whole bunch of stuff that went on. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a simple question. You just ask the monitor, was she here or not? No? Okay, well, then there's no reason for her to be this upset. Like, it's just that simple. Like, I, I don't know the full story, but it seems like she's the one who's out here making um, the false comments. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really a trip. And like I said, the, the real losers in this situation – are going to be the kids and it's and it's and it's sad especially for Tito's come so far like this is what your career is relegated to fighting fighting on Twitter and putting your personal business out there come on yeah that's yeah that's uh, Twitter is <laughs> not the place to be airing out your personal business not so, like hey, that man Twitter is a place to do stupid things like put funny tweets up or something like don't put your personal business out there on Twitter like it never ends well yeah it's a, it, it, it's a trip but let's get into this UFC card because UFC 160, don't get me wrong, I was hyped for the card, but it pains me to say that I was only hyped for the co-main event and the main event. I wasn't really I wasn't really chomping at the bit saying, "Yo, I'm going to drop 60 bones to buy um this card." Were you in that same camp or were you more more excited for the card as a whole than I was? Um I, I like the card. It, it looked like a pretty decent card. There was, a, I, I could see, like I thought the TJ Grant Great Manor fight was going to be good. Um, I thought the uh, the KJ Nunes Donald Cerrone fight was going to be good. So 
uh, not that I, I mean, I've never spent six dollars on a car, but <laughs> it, it, going to the bar, if I had been off work that night, I would have went to the bar and watched this. All right, so so I want to, as as usual, we're gonna we're gonna pluck a couple of fights out. Um, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Abel Trujillo, they almost came to blows at the weigh-ins, and their fight their fight went the distance. It was it was a solid fight. Um, Khabib is now twenty and zero. <laughs> you know that's 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 um that's pretty ridiculous, man. Yeah, uh, Khabib looked. Uh really good in this fight, uh, really good control, um, d- basically just tossed Abel Trujillo around the entire fight. Um, that was, that was a really good control. He didn't do a whole lot of damage, but he, he, he was able to control him and Abel Trujillo in the third round doing that, like looking at the referee, like begging to be stood up like that shit don't work. Nope. Like, how about you get up? <laughs> like, how about you try to get up? Like begging the ref to get you up is just stupid. No, definitely not. I was I was shocked that Robert Whitaker took out Colton Smith. Colton Smith is a is a pretty solid dude, you know. Robert Whitaker he won tough the smashes, and Colton Smith had won tough season sixteen, you know. And it was it was and is it wrong of me to say that I forgot Colton Smith even won tough? I totally even forgot about that season. Yeah, that was that was a really really bad season. Um, it didn't actually <laughs> surprise me that much because Colton Smith is an extremely one dimensional fighter. So it didn't it didn't surprise me that much that he got stuck against a dude that can box um and couldn't and got all his shots stuffed and just got beat up on the feet. So it didn't surprise me that much. Uh, what surprised me was Robert Whitaker's stance because that I hope that's just for this fight because that's not going to work against someone who can really strike back. Because, Hell no. Uh, keeping one hand like he's going to end up on someone highlight reel for a right head kick. Yep, absolutely. That head, but it, I think from what he said, it was just for this fight, though. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a little crazy. I mean, the 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 funny thing with it was that the stance was weird. The whole fight itself was crazy, and like I said, I totally forgot about Colton Smith on Tough. <laughs> you know, I remember Tough the Smashes because it was it was a it was a badass season. Those guys, those guys on the Smashes were all about exactly that, just smashing the hell out of each other. Yeah, Robert Whitaker looked good on the Smashers. I think he, I think he was on the Smashers actually at 185. He looked good on the Smashers. Well, let's let's go on to the pay per view side of things. Donald Cerrone, KJ Noons, KJ Noons got exposed in that fight. Holy shit! <laughs> and Donald Cerrone ended yeah, he, up. Donald Cerrone ended up opening his elbow with a zipper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, KJ Noons got the shit beat out of him. I mean, KJ Noons is not. He's not a UFC caliber fighter at this point. Um, he's got some decent wins over Nick Diaz and one over Eves Edwards. But if you look at his record, I mean, he's lost to Charles Crazy Horse Bennett. Uh, he, he's lost to worse fighters than Donald Cerrone, and Donald Cerrone beat the hell out of him. And in all honesty, Donald Cerrone probably could have tapped him if he really went hard for that. I mean, KJ Newman probably can beat some guys, but it's probably on the low end. Um, he's just not a UFC caliber fighter. Yeah, it was it was it was a trip because I I wasn't thinking that the fight was going to be ultra competitive, but I thought that KJ Nunes' boxing was going to be uh something of an equalizer. The the thing that gets me is that you know, Donald Cerrone was was using just great footwork, um using a lot of kicks, putting putting serious work in on the kicks, and KJ's boxing just was a non-factor. 
I've never been all that impressed with KJ's boxing in the MMA setting. Like it, it, it's he's a good striker per se, but he I've never been super impressed with his boxing. Like I always hear like, oh, he's a great boxer, he's a great boxer. Um, I've just never seen it. I mean, outside I guess except for the Nick Diaz fight, and that's mostly because of the way Nick Diaz fights that he looked good in that. Otherwise, I, I've just never been all that impressed with his striking ability. I mean. Uh, Jorge Masvidal in their last fight straight savages them on the feet. Like, he yep. gets beat up on the feet. And it's it's weird for someone who, who everybody lords over as this great boxer. Well, here's here's a question for you. Where do, where do you see now Donald Cerrone on the lightweight, you know, in the lightweight rankings? Because I almost felt like that fight with KJ was a step down. I think, you know, after that loss Cerrone had, I could understand you wanted to give him a tune-up fight. But I don't know. It just It just felt... Like, this was a step down in competition for him, considering the caliber of guys he's known for fighting. Uh, I think it was, too. I mean, he's right there in the top four, three or four um, best lightweights in the world. I think you give him maybe Josh Thompson. I'd um, love to see that. Pro- yeah, probably like a title eliminated, title eliminated type bout. Um, just because Donald Cerrone probably beats nearly every other lightweight. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, if... I would pick any other lightweight over him, and I can't think of one. I, I think he really it probably beats them all outside of maybe, you know, the top couple. So I would give him Josh Thompson. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I think, I think um, you know, I'll with me personally, Donald Cerrone's been a guy who's, who's striking has been, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that's just a beauty to watch. Simple as that. Yeah, he, he, he is. When when he is on and against an opponent that um, is going to allow him to go into that full Muay Thai game, he is nasty to watch. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a trip. Now, sw- you know, switching gears a little bit with regards to that, the other fight that I wanted to talk about was exactly the fight you brought up earlier, Gray Maynard and TJ Grant, because it was it was just um not, not to say I expected it to be a mauling. But I expected more from. I expected Gray Maynard to make it into the the next round. But Gray Maynard just got murdered, death killed. Two minutes seven seconds in the first round. It was. It, it didn't even feel like it was a competitive fight at that point. Yeah, that surprised me too. I mean, TJ Grant was a, uh, a a decent welterweight, but he's moved down to to lightweight and is just smashing fools. I mean, uh, it shocked me when he knocked out Gray Maynard. It really did. Like. Uh, and it wasn't so much that it shot me that he knocked him out. It was that he knocked him out in the first round in two minutes. Like, that's what shot me the most. It, uh, TJ Grant is going to be, uh, I think he'll be a decent challenger to Benson Henderson. Yeah, I think TJ Grant and, and Benson Henderson are going to give us an amazing fight. Yeah, it should be a good fight. I mean, I'll, I'll pick Benson Henderson there just because I think he'll probably just kick TJ Grant a bunch. But um, <laughs> and be able to move around on the outside. But I, I think um, I think it'd be a good fight. I tell you what, I think a lot of guys were hyped because Mike Tyson was there, helping him, helping him, you know, <laughs> in the getting him in the zone. Yeah, I'd be hyped too if Mike Tyson was there. Yeah, my uh, dude, Mike Goldberg. I thought he had a baby when he's like, "Oh my God, Mike Tyson, <laughs> chocolate down." I'm like, dude, really? Calm, calm down, dude. It's all right. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that serious. <laughs> Calm 
I'll tell you what, though. Glover Teixeira made a nice case for himself at 205 with that really nice guillotine in that first round on James Tahuna. I mean, Tahuna's a solid fighter, man, but I kind of knew Teixeira was going to put it on him. Yeah, I kind of feel that Teixeira will win, too. Um, the only thing with that is I still still need to see Glover Teixeira against a legit top 10 opponent. Like, he still hasn't fought one. And not to say that the dudes he's fought are scrubs, but he, he's fought James Tahuna, who's not top 10, Fabio Maldonado, who I guess you would consider a scrub, and uh, <laughs> Kingsbury, who retired. And Rampage, who probably wasn't even thinking about fighting. So, like, you got to give him somebody in the top ten, like, uh, before you give him John Jones. Like, I don't I don't think he can beat John Jones, but you kind of want to groom him at least to give him somebody that can kind of push him. I agree. This, this is going to be a whole different world going from James Tahuna to John Jones. You, you need to go, you need to put him against, like, maybe a Machida or a uh, Ryan Bader, maybe, somebody like that. Yeah, we we got to talk about Machida too. But I was I I, I like the way the fight went. The setup was was beautiful for the guillotine because he you know he he used the arm in guillotine and it was such a smooth smooth transition. You know he started with the hammer fist, couple of short punches. Then you know when Glover got his leg out, Tahuna was trying to get back to his feet, man, and it just the the transition into that arm in guillotine was beautiful. Yeah, that's how, that's exactly how he's supposed to do it to somebody. It, it was he 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 put on a little jiu-jitsu clinic in that 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 couple seconds. Yeah, it was it was tremendous. Now let's get let's get into this co-main event. Just swinging for the fences, Super Samoan Mark Hunt, animal style against JDS. What a dude! Probably one of the most exciting heavyweight fights I've seen because it it was full on beast mode. Those guys were coming out there swinging for the fences. We started. We got. We got some great striking technique. It wasn't super sloppy, but but you know, Mark Hunt was looking to drop that drop that cannon on him. Yeah, um, that was that was a really good fight. I mean, the ending was was uh, surprising because I mean, it's rare to see heavyweights come out with spinning back kicks and land them. Um, uh, the Mark Hunt's chin is ridiculous. I mean, the shots that JDS was hitting him with, the way they sounded, just through my computer screen, like, it, it vicious. Um, this fight still doesn't make me think JDS can beat Cain Velasquez, though, um, at all. I don't think so. Go ahead. He could land like he could land like a punch, but if they come in both healthy again, JDS has a tendency to back straight up into the fence. Yep. And if you put pressure on him. And Mark Hunt caught him multiple times like that. You find Cain Velasquez, you are going to get lumped up again for five rounds if you do that. Like, he's just going to chase you around and do that. Or he's going to or he's going to dump you on your head. Yeah, or he's going to take you down. Like, Mark Hunt, Mark, Mark Hunt, you know, was um, hitting him um, and, and hurting him. And I think he might have hurt him a couple times doing that and that's just not going to work against Cain Velasquez like you can't give him that kind of clear strategic uh, opening like he's got to fix that he's got to learn how to circle out because if not he's going to lose again to Cain Velasquez yeah well you know what? what's crazy JDS was dropping serious overhand rights remember the overhand right he caught Cain with in the back of the ear to win the belt yeah dude he caught Mark Hunt with one and Mark was like yeah so he caught him with like a couple, like it, it's like three or four times he caught him with it, and he just didn't even phase him. 
Mark Hunt ate them like a champion, dude. Mark Hunt just laughed. He's like, "Yo, you was was that supposed to hurt?" I know it was it was ridiculous, and it's kind of weird. Like the spinning back hit that did eventually knock him out, um, didn't seem like it landed flush. It kind of looked like it kind of like grazed him a bit, but I guess it was just an accumulation of everything that was happening. I wanna I wanna call it um. You know, if you've played a lot of Street Fighter, you know, when you catch a guy with a jab and he's in the corner and you yeah. knock him out, that's chip damage. <laughs> JD, JDS, <laughs> caught, JDS caught Mark Hunt with some chip damage to put him out. Because seriously, dude, with all the with all the bombs he ate, the fact that he ate that kick, and, and still, dude, it was like, you know when Ric Flair gets up and falls back down? Yeah. that's <laughs> That was Mark Hunt. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean he was he was out. Um, it like you said, it was it. That's an accumulation. That that wasn't just nope. Just that kick. That's from getting hit with those overhand rights and everything else. JDS was in with that entire fight. Yeah, well, JDS goes into the history books. What is he now? The second guy to finish Mark Hunt ever. Uh, by knockout. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Melvin Manouf did too. Yep, dude. Um, like that's that's yeah, tremendous. I think that's, it. that's tremendous. Like. The fact that 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 they that they went to war like that and they went the full three rounds, like that's even that's the craziest part. The craziest part is that he was getting hit so hard, and all of a sudden he just got got tagged and it was over. I was like, "Yo, you guys went the distance." Yeah, it's rare that you see heavyweight fights that go the distance that don't become sloppy. Two fat guys hugging each other. Yep. <laughs> it's rare that you see them go that far and not become sloppy. No, it was it was ridiculous. Now, of course, JDS Kane three is in the cards, but let's talk about this Kane Antonio Bigfoot Silva fight because pretty much the outcome was exactly what we saw, just with a lot less pints of blood on on the canvas. Yeah, um, at no point did I think Antonio Silva could win this fight. He's entirely too slow, and it it, it was really evident, uh, probably about the first or second punch he threw. And it looked like Kane literally, like, saw it coming, had time to step completely around it, and then reset. Like, yeah, this is not going to end well for him. Got right. hit with a one-two, fell down, and got hit a couple more times. One or two to the back of the head, but not enough for him to be bitching about it like he is. Oh, yeah. He, and, he, he put uh, up a picture of his – he put up that picture of his swollen-ass head. And it's like, dude, that's how your head looks already. Like, what are you talking about? He's like, what happens when you have giantism? Like, dude's head is huge. Like, it, it's like, yo, your head. It's like, it, it, it's like, yo, hit this Buick with a sledgehammer. That's pretty much it. His head is a Buick. He got a big old Buick dome, and he's complaining. Oh, you know, I caught a couple of shots to the back of the head, dude. You were getting murder, death, killed anyway. Get out of here. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't going to change. Like, I think the stoppage was a bit early. Like, I think they could have let him take a couple more shots, especially in a title fight. But nothing was going to change. Campbell Athens was just going to keep hitting him over and over and over again. Like, it wasn't going to stop. And the back of the head shit, like, the the spirit of the rule is so someone doesn't wind up and punch you in the brainstem. Right. That is the spirit of the rule. It is not if you fall down and you're turtled up and you're moving if they hit you in the back of the head once or twice, then they should lose that fight. That's not how it works. That's right. And for him to be bitching and moaning about it is just stupid. Well, a couple of things now. Now, now. now with that out of the way, we got Kane JDS3. 
who would you give so who would you give Silva to? Would you give Silva would you have Silva and Mark Hunt fight next? Um Because I'd love to see that. Either Silva and Mark Hunt or I'm trying to think who what other heavyweights aren't big booked right now. Um probably Silva and Mark Hunt, just because Josh Barnett is always fighting Frank Mir. Oh, I'm super uh, hyped for that. You'll hear you'll hear me go ape about that later on. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Travis Brown is fighting Overeem. Yeah, I'd give him Mark Hunt because I mean, really, there's no other top ten heavyweights really just available to fight right now. Dude, I'm telling you right now, I think Mark Hunt would hit him with a with a dragon punch and break his jaw in like four places. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> his head is so big, like. That's his pro- it's, he has a couple of issues that make it hard for him to consistently win fights. First of all, his head is fucking huge. He can't get it out of the way. Uh, he has no head movement because his head is so large, and he's giant and slow. Like that, If he's able to put hands on you, he can hurt you. But outside of that, he gets beat up by really good heavyweights because he's so slow. Well, you know what the thing is too. It's like it's like oh, you know, he got Overeem, and everybody's like, "Yo, Big Bigfoot Silva came out." It's like, "Yo, Overeem's." I I love the Reem. I'm a big fan of Alistair Overeem, but we know his jaw has always been suspect to begin with. So let's not even get crazy and think that you know. And he was whooping his ass for ten minutes. Like, yeah, Overeem was whooping Bigfoot's ass for ten minutes. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying, but you know. With, with with that said, they gave out some really nice bonuses. People got cashed out. Glover Teixeira took. Uh, submission of the night. JDS almost got knockout of the night, but Mike Tyson put in a good word and got TJ Grant that knockout of the night bonus. Well deserved, because not for nothing, JDS didn't need the damn money. Come on, he got fight of the night. Yeah, I kind of hate when it. I, I kind of hate when they like give the 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 knockout of the night bonus to like the main eventer. Like they don't really need that. Like, like give it to one of these dudes that are like on the undercard. Well, look at with, with that said, you know, Junkie actually put out some of the payouts. Which you know, I wanted to go over. Cain Velasquez made four hundred thousand dollars in that fight. Four sponsorships and stuff. So yeah, he cleaned <laughs> up nice. <laughs> JDS took another two forty. That included a hundred and twenty thousand dollar win bonus. Just saying. Yeah, he ain't need that money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Two. You know how much Bigfoot Silver got paid, dude? He got paid seventy five thousand dollars for his trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, that's a good seventy-five thousand dollars. I mean, you know, for uh, a minute and what, like twelve seconds of getting the punch in the face. Well, well, here's something crazy. T.J. Grant, before he got his bonus, he he got fifty thousand. That includes the twenty-five thousand dollar win bonus. That means that 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 poor guy would have got twenty-five grand. You know what I mean? Like, come on, yeah. man. He need, he yeah. needed that money. Give that guy that money, man. Yeah, let that man have that money. <laughs> Donald Cerrone took in eighty two grand. That included a forty one thousand dollar win bonus. Mike Pyle took in eighty four thousand for his troubles too. Huh. It's probably good. He's been in UFC a while, so his his contract probably increased a lot. <laughs> Abel Trujillo made eight thousand dollars. And well, learn how to stop a takedown. <laughs> <laughs> Take <more> money. <laughs> Yeah, Khabib took $28,000. That included a $14,000 win bonus. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, some of the dudes dudes are getting some decent pay. I know that the pay has been something that a lot of people have been talking about. A lot of fighters, you know, they've been real vocal about, like, the pay and all that stuff. 
But you got to look at it like this. You're getting a good example. Like Antonio, like Bigfoot got $75,000 for what? A minute and 20 seconds. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Oh, overall, though, the card I definitely mean, was. On the flip side, Kane got four hundred thousand for a minute and twenty seconds. So yeah, dude, that's that's ridiculous. Four hundred thousand dollars for a minute and twenty seconds. But he's the champ, though. And, and not for nothing, I'm a little confused as to how JDS got a Nike sponsorship and Kane Velasquez doesn't. Between I, you and I, I think I think it's I think it's the the Nike. First of all, I think JDS is sponsored by Lugs, I think, which they're Lugs. But um, <laughs> in fact, he is sponsored by Lugs, but, um, which I don't think would necessarily stop him from getting a Nike sponsorship. But um, I think his – I don't think his is a global sponsorship. Like, I don't think his is like uh, John Jones and, and Anderson Silver where it's like a global thing. Right. I think it might – hello? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that was static real quick. Scared him of me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I don't think his is a global thing. I think it's just a strictly a uh, Brazilian thing. Cause, um, he got like his I own shoe, though. Like John Jones is... He, he does? Yeah, J.D. has got his, got his own shoe. He put it up on Twitter. Everybody was rocking it. It's a blue and white. Is it, is it sad to say that it looks a lot better than John Jones' shoe? I didn't even know JDS had his own shoe. Yeah, dude. Yeah, JDS got his own shoe. I was like, well, all right, dude. That's what that's what's really weird about like the way Nike is doing it. And not for nothing, if Nike doesn't lock up Ronda Rousey very soon, it would be it would be it, their marketing department should be should be dragged out and beat to death. Uh, I'm pretty sure her next fight is going to probably be wearing some Nike gear. Gotta be, dude, because you know, not for nothing, she she could get locked up by Under Armour real easy. Oh, most definitely. But yeah, she she probably she probably's got a a uh, shoe deal coming up or something. <laughs> so let's talk about this post fight press conference. Forrest Griffin announces his retirement, going into the Hall of Fame with Stephen Bonner. Which not for nothing, we haven't seen Stephen Bonner since UFC one fifty three. And that poor guy, you know, it's <laughs> he, he he just got swept under the rug. Me and you had a had a good laugh about that a couple of shows back. So, what do you think about Forrest retiring and 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 going into the Hall of Fame? I, honestly, that guy deserves it because though him and Stephen Bonner's blood, sweat, and tears put MMA on the main stage for the average fan. Yeah, um, I think he deserves the Hall of Fame. Um, and he he was he had a pretty good Forrest Griffin did had a pretty good uh, fighting career. They they both deserve to be in the Hall of Fame for that fight. Um, and and good for them. I kind of thought Forrest Griffin was already retired, to be perfectly honest. But well, he had back to back knee injuries. He had back to back knee injuries for 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 the fight. Yeah, yeah. So you know it didn't help him either. Yeah. Plus, I kind of felt like his his heart was out of fighting a while ago. Like I think after he won his title, his heart was kind of out of fighting because I think he's only fought like three or four times since then. Yeah, well, he re- he's and retiring with a nineteen and seven record, so yeah, it's yeah. Not but bad. I mean, um, good for Forrest Griffin, uh, and for Stephen Bonner. I mean, he I needs all the help he, he can get. This is good for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering I mean you almost fucked over the company, so yeah, you know, they're probably not not in the best. Graces, he's not in their best graces right now. So. 
Well, you know what it is? Like Dana White's, I, I respect the fact Dana White's willing to put the transgression aside because not for nothing, the the important, the significance of that fight was huge, you know? Yeah. Those guys going out there and, and, and bleeding for, for 15 minutes on national television. I remember, you know, my, 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 my fiance, she watched the, that first season with me and she just casually watched it. And then all of a sudden it was, it was a wrap. It was insane. Yeah, I mean that that that's not the first fight I saw, but it was it was one. I think it was like the third or fourth fight I ever saw. But you know, it 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 brought a lot of fans in. There's a lot of people like my age group, um, and that that was the first time they saw MMA. That was that was the first MMA fight they ever saw, and that's um that's a big deal. Well, with that said, we got those guys going into the Hall of Fame this summer. Kane and JDS will probably be going down before the end of the year and um Jones and Gustafson seem to be on a collision course as well. Yeah, um, I'm I'm looking forward to that fight. Um at least to get a new new blood in there with John Jones. Um I don't want to see any rematches such as Machida rematch or anything. Like I I want to see new blood. I don't think Gustafson could beat him, but I think it'd be an interesting fight. There you go. What what I did want to touch base a little bit about this Reza Madati situation where guy guy was arrested in Sweden following a high-speed car chase and a burglary uh, that occurred with over $150,000 worth of like designer handbags I don't even oh uh, man I don't even know what, what to say about that um, <laughs> it's insane you he know he might be going to jail well, yeah, the cra- he's probably going to jail. Well, the crazy thing is, the guy, you know, it's he beat Michael Johnson in Stockholm with a Darce choke. Guy took $60,000 submission of the night bonus. It's like, really, you're stealing $150,000 U.S. Uh, of of designer handbags? Like, it's the, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh... I don't... I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know what, what to say about that. Like, hopefully... You know, they work this out and he doesn't end up going to jail or maybe he didn't actually do it or something. I don't know. But he this is crazy. You don't need to be out here stealing. <laughs> no, not like that, not dude. And you know if he if he gets popped and, and it gets crazy, you know he's go he's going under. UFC is cutting him off oh, immediately. Definitely. Almost definitely. Last last week it was funny because I, I I actually hoped you had called in last week because of the Nick Newell situation, you know, where he didn't want to fight the guy and defend his belt. Turns out now that he signed a deal with World Series of Fighting, um, currently undefeated, and you know he's he's the guy's missing his left hand. For those of for those of you that don't know, he's list, missing his left hand and most of his left forearm. But he's won eight of his nine fights via first round stoppage. Guys, you know basically you know a one arm fighter, and he was saying you know on the MMA hour that at 27 years old he wants to get to the top as soon as possible, and he wants to fight guys who will get me to where I want to be. Now with that said. The, the guy's fighting with one arm. The organization took their chance with him. He said, oh, I'm not going to defend the belt because I don't feel this guy deserves it. But it's like, you're a one-arm guy fighting. You're a tremendous athlete. The organization took a chance on you. You're not going to do right and defend your belt? It's like, what kind of bullshit is that? Um, I mean, we're only getting really the organization side of the story. Um. I don't know, you know, what exactly was ever said to him about it, but um, 
I understand his logic that he wants to get to the UFC, and in order to do that, you need to beat better fighters than uh, who they're going to put him up against. But you, you sometimes you got to just do a solid for that organization. Um, I think he signed with W um, World Series of Fight now. Yep, so, he did. Um, yeah, he he's going to get some fights, but um, you know it's not a good look to just you know for that situation to happen. But um, you know he's a good fighter. Um, do I ever think he'll be in a UFC? No, just because he has one arm. Like that's something that the UFC really doesn't have to want to worry about. <clears throat> but um, you know he should have probably done a solid for the organization because he probably would have beat this dude. So, well, well, there you have it. it. It's a it's a it's a crazy turn of events. And the guy saying he's like, yeah, I want to fight the guys that'll get me there, but. You and I, you and I have watched MMA long enough that some fights just don't make sense. But it's like, yo, they have to happen. They got to be part of the game. Yeah, you know, probably should have just done a salad. You probably would have beat them, and then you know, you could have kind of propositioned them to like get you someone, an ex UFC fighter or somebody like that. Yep, I agree. Invicta dropped their um their. FC six card, you know, Cyborg versus Conan two. That's going down July thirteenth. A couple of really good fights on there. We got two title fights. Obviously, uh, Marlos Conan and Cyborg for the featherweight title. Carla Esparza is defending her strawweight title against Ayaka Hamasaki, and also Sarah Delio, Lauren Taylor's on that card. Um, Jessica Penny's on that card. Julia Budd is on that card. A lot of, a lot of great uh, female fighters getting showcased on this card. Beck Hyatt, uh, Rose Namajunas doing the, um, you know, the 8 p.m. pay-per-view slot. So I think Invicta's really stepping their game up. It's It's been a, a weird week for them because of that whole thing with the, with the manager that was kind of soliciting all the female fighters, and Shannon Knapp had to go out on record and kind of throw this guy under the bus. Yeah, yeah, it did. That, that was a serious, uh, serious thing that was going on, but they, they've got it all worked out. Um, this, new, this next card sounds good. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, they continue to do uh, good cards. Hopefully they get a TV deal soon, uh, be on Access or something. So um, I'm looking forward to the card. I'm, ty- I'm tired of the iPay-Per-View because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. If I got to watch it, if I want to watch it on my TV, I got to go through Google TV. It's it's way too stressful. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather just be on Access TV or something. There you go. So Kat Zingano blew her knee out, out of the Ultimate Fighter gig. Now Ronda Rousey and Misha Misha Caraway Tate are are going to be our are, are going to be our coaches for this season. Of course, that goes down September fourth on Fox Sports One. Um, I'm really bummed. Casingano got hurt, and Misha Tate is like, yeah, you know, this fight was destined to happen. Blah blah blah. It's like, look, you're going to get killed again. But I tell you what, we've said and we said this a while back. It is going to be amazing television. Oh, it's going to be hilarious. I mean, hell, Ron Rousey already started. She said that Misha Tate would be a better fighter and a better person than she wasn't with Brian Caraway. Like, she's already started. Like, uh, it should be it should be uh, quite hilarious to see those two stuck in that environment with each other for, what, are eight weeks or something like that? Eight weeks. It should and, be hilarious. And, now, and, and the crazy thing is, I, I really want to see how the fighters are going to react now because, you know, with, with Kazingano out, you know Misha Tate's going to bring Caraway in as like an assistant coach and all the and, and you know people have no time for that shit i almost feel it going into Rashad Evans uh Rampage Jackson territory 
Um, yeah, probably. I mean, they they they'll probably they'll probably be some kind of stare down or curse out session or almost come to blows at some point in the show. It it should be fun. Oh, I'm so pumped, dude! Like, don't get me wrong. I think Kazangano would have given us a, an awesome season and probably a great fight against Ronda Rousey. But just from a from a rating standpoint, you know, Dana White right now is just is just chomping at the bit for this season to go down. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this is if they had a choice, what it would have been. Um, and they, I mean, they couldn't do it because we take out our ass work, but uh, now they can. There you go. Nick Diaz actually dropped some news regarding War MMA going down at the Stockton Arena on June 22nd. Got a, a couple of decent fights on there. Uh, Mike, Parson, Mike, Mike Persons, Clayton McKinney. Um, they're saying Antonio Banuelos is going to be fighting on that card against Benny Vinson as a co-main event. Uh, a solid card that Nick Diaz is putting together with his promotion, man. It's, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how Nick Diaz, the promoter, fares in in you know in the very deep waters of amateur MMA because obviously you got you know organizations like Bellator World Series of Fighting um, some of these other organizations and then Nick Diaz is just coming out of nowhere with his organization he's already put a fight together um, they're going to be using unified rules they're going to be fighting in the ring the only thing that they're not going to allow is elbow strikes to a ground opponent but um, regular matches you know three five minute rounds championship matches will be five. I, I'm very interested to see not only who's going to pick this up, but how well it's received. I'm sure in Stockton they're going to go crazy and want to check it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a feeling that it's probably never going to go past the the uh, moderately large uh, local event, um, which actually I don't think Nick Diaz needs it to go any farther than that. Nope. Um, I think I think it'll be fun. To, um, just just a fun little uh, card to watch if um, they show it on TV anywhere or something. Well, the last the last bit of MMA news actually it, it, it's a two parter. Like I said, Josh Barnett facing Frank Mir UFC one sixty four. Um, Daniel Cormier, of course, got a victory over Josh Barnett in Strike Force. Cormier now with Cain Velasquez retaining. Cormier is going to make the drop the drop to two hundred five. So I'm sure Cormier will probably be challenging for that belt shortly after um, Gustafson challenges because they'll probably give Cormier one fight. And he'll be good to go if he gets past whoever he fights. And, um, you know, Barnett's coming back to the UFC and not for nothing. I, th- I think Mir's going to give him a really good fight. As long as he doesn't pull that, yeah, that bullshit-ass boxing he tried to pull when he fought DC. It should be a good fight. Um, I mean, this is a fight. I- I've wanted to see these two fight each other forever. I mean, this should be a really good fight. Um, I kind of think... I, c- I kind of favor... Um, Barnett a little bit. I do, I too. I wouldn't be shocked if Mir was the, to win, because um, I think Mir might have a little bit better stand-up, but it should be a really good fight. Um, they both are aggressive on the ground. I think they're probably, since Nogueira's probably lost a step or two, I think they're probably the best jiu-jitsu dudes on the ground in the um, heavyweight division. It should be a really fun, good fight. Yeah, I want to see if, if Mir's jiu-jitsu can counter Barnett's catch wrestling, because you know Barnett... Once once that goes to the ground, it's it's a it's a different ball game. It's not it's not smother and cover when Barnett gets in there. Barnett's all about coming in and getting the submission immediately. Yeah, it like it should be an interesting class of style. I'm 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 looking forward to it. 
and Mir, of course, dropping the 205. I'd I'd give between you and I, I'd probably give Mir, I not Mir, um, I'd give um, Cormier, Big Country as his 205 fight, and the winner of that fight gets the title shot. I don't think Roy Nelson has any intention of dropping weight, but if he did, um, that would probably be the fight to give him. Um, I I think if you give Roy Nelson the right incentive, dude. It'll it, it can happen. I think Roy Nelson can make that drop to two hundred five if he wanted. He probably could. I mean, it's not like he's got a abundance of muscle, which is keeping him right. Big. It's that's just the fat. gut. So it's the gut, dude. Yeah. That's it. So um, I think I think he can make two hundred five. Uh, but if he doesn't go down, I'd give him Machida. Um, I'd give DC Machida um, as his first fight at two hundred five. Yeah, and but- that would be a title eliminator. Machida's title opportunity got thrown out the window. Dana White pretty much said in an interview that he's like, yo, nobody's chomping at the bit to see these guys fight. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he might have won the first round. Um, I know a lot of people out there try to act like that first round was a blowout. It was not. It was close. And I, I, th- I did. I think Machida won, but it wasn't like John Jones. It was like a 10-8 round. John Jones was falling all over the place. But, like, he looked dead by the end of the fight. Like, yep. there's a reason no one's chopping at the bit. Like, he looked dead. That's why. <laughs> well, I respect Dana White um, for keeping it real. I mean, statistically, yeah, Machida deserves that title opportunity. But, yo, let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's, that fight is going to be bullshit because they're going to make no money. Nah, you'd have to. I mean, John Jones is good probably for about 500000 bars. I mean, you'll make some money off that, but, like, it won't – it's not going to get any kind of pop. It's just going to be like, oh. Going through the motions. I mean, not the ball. Yeah, he's he's fighting someone he's already fought and look like he killed him. So. There you have it. All right, well, that actually uh, wraps up the MMA for this week. Um, You're still still doing the show. I know you took a bit of a hiatus. You're trying to clean the audio up. Did you you make the jump to Mixler? Um, we're, we're still trying to figure out exactly how we're, how we're going to do this. Uh, me and, uh, the guy I'm doing it with, we, uh, we need to, we, uh, haven't had a chance yet, uh, with everything going on, uh, to sit down and really, uh, figure out how we're going to do this, but it's probably going to be on Mixler. So when, when all that's uh, down, I'll let everybody know. Sounds good. All right. Make sure to follow Ben on Twitter at blackout 89. I'm sure Ben's fighter of the month is coming up and I'm sure he's got a couple of different nominees for that honor because there have been a couple of solid fights this month um, for the month of May. Yep. So that, I, I kind of have a, a feeling, I, you know, it, it might be Kane, but we'll see what happens when you drop that article. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add? Nope, that's it. All right, my dude, thanks for calling in. I will catch you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. All right, just the a uh, quick reminder for those of you that are tuning into the page there do yourselves a favor either mute the uh gfq player or mute the mixler player i know a lot of you guys are telling me about the uh the double audio um i was actually speaking while i was uh doing the segment with ben with suncast from gfq so we may just have the chat and not have the gfq player there or we may figure out a way to not have the uh mixler player autoplay when the show is on the air but we're kind of we're kind of working on it right now, and hopefully we'll have that resolved by next week. But if you are tuning in, just do yourselves a favor and either mute 
the Mixler feed or the GFQ feed, and um, you'll be able to take care of that from there on in. I know a lot of you guys were messaging me about the double audio, but that's how you resolve it. Also, for those of you tuning in for the wrestling segment, you can change your nickname in the chat room by clicking the menu button on the side, and you'll be able to change your nickname from GFQ viewer to whatever you wish. Anyway, let's get right into it and talk some wrestling. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, so we got a lot of wrestling to discuss, especially this week's episode of Raw. Um, Raw, of course, typical Memorial Day Raw, which was emanating from Canada, of all places. But the crazy thing is, we got our Memorial Day tribute, and it was supposed to also be Bret Hart Appreciation Night. But if we've learned anything when it comes to the world of professional wrestling, is that anytime somebody's getting an appreciation night, it's pretty much them not getting appreciated in the least. Anyway, we're going to open things up. The match of the first match of the night was Alberto Del Rio taking on Biggie Langston. I know a lot of people are like, oh man, we've seen this match for like the 87th time. But one of the reasons why this is going on is because Jack Swagger, given his uh, a, arrest for driving under the influence and his criminal record, cannot come into Canada. This is one of the things that's also, that also happens with R-Truth and a couple of other guys that got a record. They can't come into Canada to do any shows. That's why you've been seeing so much of Alberto Del Rio taking on Big E Langston. But I will say that Del Rio taking on Big E Langston a couple of times is not a bad gig. On the contrary, I think it's a great opportunity for Big E Langston to showcase his skills. He looks um, He looks really good. The, the thing that gets me is um, Del Rio, he's really coming to his own in his whole uh, Hispanic, I'm the hero of the Hispanic people gimmick, because that's what it really is. But I will tell you that I admire the fact that he's trying to make himself, or at least differentiate himself more from, from Eddie Guerrero's gimmick than any other guy that's kind of been pushed for the Latino audience. I continue to say that Ricardo Rodriguez is still the major selling point. I think Del Rio's wrestling, now that he's working as a face, has evolved quite a bit. He's working that that Lucha Libre style a little bit more. I mean, not so much against Biggie Langston, but we're seeing a bit of, of a varied offense from Del Rio, which is nice to see. I really would like Ricardo Rodriguez to get in the ring at some opportunity, you know, and get some opportunity in there because the guy's extremely talented. And while, don't get me wrong, I like the intros and I like the whole ethnic houseboy situation that they give him. He, he's, he's a solid wrestler. He is a solid, solid wrestler. And I think he's severely underutilized personally. Maybe give him the masked Chimera gimmick, have him go out there, maybe have him feud with Sin Cara. Um, that, I think that would give us, uh, some great main event caliber matches, but you know, you look at his work in there currently with Del Rio and he just makes Del Rio look better. 
I'm sure that they already got the split in the cards at some point because like anything else, they're probably going to see how long it'll take for Del Rio to stand on his own. But personally, they work so well together that I think Del Rio would, would suffer without Ricardo. But you can also use Ricardo in, in another instance by, like I said, putting him under the Chimera gimmick and letting him wrestle under the mask. Give him some ring time. He could still work with Del Rio and the gimmick can still um, maintain its momentum going forward. Biggie Langston, like I said, I have nothing bad to say about the guy. He, he's he's great in in every match he does. And with the recent departure of Mark Henry, who is nursing some injuries, I'm really glad to see WWE letting Biggie Langston run with the ball. And I think AJ helps him out quite a bit because his mic work is still a little, you know, going back to when he first grabbed the mic from Dolph Ziggler a couple of months back. His promo work still leaves a lot to be desired, but his wrestling is Top notch. We had ourselves a backstage segment with Kane and Daniel Bryan, which was really good. Um, Daniel Bryan just continues to impress, not only in the ring, but outside of the ring. This is a guy who came in, and he was he was being mentored by The Miz, if you guys remember how that shit worked out. He was being mentored by The Miz on NXT, and how far he's come, even though his gimmick is, is a little... I don't want to say it's lame because it's not. It works, but it's definitely something that falls. You know, it, the comedy is fine, but there's so much more to Daniel Bryan. There's so much more to to, to the American Dragon. The the guy we've shown that he can take such a such a shitty gimmick as the yes and the no gimmick and turn it into something that just works. And his work with 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 Kane has been. Amazing to say the least, and let's not even get started with the matches with the Shield. But you know, Kane, Kane. At this point, I think it's time to really split up Team Hell. No, you're not really doing anything with them from a tag team standpoint. Sure, you can make them wrestle the Shield for like three weeks, and the crowd would eat it up. But it's not really doing the guys any favors. Daniel Bryan can be pushed into the main event picture very easily with zero issues. You can even push him into the mid card. Maybe get him into a U.S. title feud with Ambrose, which would be solid, especially now that Kofi Kingston's going to be on the shelf for the foreseeable future. But, you know, I'll take what I can get. Daniel Bryan continues to impress. And while we're on the subject of Ambrose, Ambrose took on Kofi Kingston in the U.S. championship rematch. Once again, Ambrose continues to deliver um, using the headlock driver to retain. Shield comes out to celebrate. Team Hell No come out to clear them out of the ring. And we're going to get the tag team title rematch with Team Hell No and The Shield right after. Amazing work. Um, Daniel Bryan delivered a a nasty top rope superplex. Um, I actually thought that he banged his head a little bit when we went into the commercial break. But once again, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, just ridiculous in there. Um, Roman Reigns and Rollins, of course, retain. Um, killed him with the mid-air spear, which was a beautiful spot. Uh, the Shield, as usual, continue to impress. They are truly one of the best three-man stables working. Let's not even talk about aces and eights or any of that, but I mean, right now, three-man stables uh, on the level of, of the Freebirds, um, you know, even the Horsemen, the, I think the Shield are definitely coming into their own, and you're starting to see a little bit more of these guys in their matches, and when I'm saying 
seeing a little bit more. I'm talking about just their their offense. They're they're kind of coming out of their shells more, especially Dean Ambrose and his singles matches. He just looks tremendous and a lot of these guys Mick Foley did an interview recently William Regal as well just talking about how well Dean Ambrose is and how you know how how great of a wrestler he's going to be and how great of an opponent he's going to be for any guy he he's in a feud with and it's true you can see it because on paper when you look at Dean Ambrose and Kofi Kingston you're like ah these guys their styles are completely different it's not going to work etc 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 but amazingly enough it works too well. I think Kofi's high flying offense, the 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 crazy chaotic style that Ambrose brings kind of nullifies it, but it also makes Kofi look good in that match. It really does. I mean, Kofi Kingston, it, he did a, a really nice Superman spot, a Superman punch off the top rope, which looked really good. And um, you know, just the way it's being done when he got tripped in into the, the steel steps. And Ambrose rolled him in for the headlock driver. Again, it's just little things like that where Ambrose is using that chaotic style to his advantage. I was, like I said, super impressed with both guys in that match. Anyway, same thing with the tag match. It was it was tre- tremendous, tremendous. We get a non-title match with Wade Barrett and Fandango, which of course I'm sure is going to lead to the, um, you know, the, the multi-man match at the pay-per-view um, I'm shocked they gave um, Fandango the win, even if it was with shenanigans on Wade Barrett. But still, if, if you're going to give the IC title to anybody at this point, maybe The Miz, or if you want to kind of get over uh, the Fandango gimmick a little more, maybe you throw the belt on him. Barrett definitely can make the, the transition to the to the upper card. I'd like to see him possibly challenge, you know, on the SmackDown side, maybe go after the World Heavyweight title since initially he was the guy that was scheduled to win money in the bank and get it and the injury kind of derailed that momentum but still I think I think Barrett in that kind of a feud maybe either either make him a tweener or start teasing a a Ziggler face turn possibly would work but I think Barrett working the role of a tweener would have some great matches with Ziggler but all these great matches got derailed with the six-man disaster with the great Kali and tons of funk taking on 3MB. What a colostomy bag of shit. Pretty much. And, 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 and there's no better way to describe it than this. Oh, my God. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, that's better. Ah, ah. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much how that match it was it was it was awful. Great Kali singing "Happy Birthday" was 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 Homer scream worthy as well. It was just it was a disaster on so many levels that match. And and the worst part is, first of all, Great Kali the guy the guy should just come out on a Segway and wrestle. Seriously, he can barely walk. I'm surprised that Natalia doesn't give him a piggyback ride to the ring. Because he, he's just a, a disaster. And tons of funk, you know, say what you want about him. They're, they're okay. They got their little comedy gimmick. It works. It's not the worst thing in the world. And 3MB, 
it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, 3MB should be released. 3MB should be fired. But 3MB, they there is an upside to those guys. The problem is that you want to kind of book them in this whole comedic uh, stable. But the, the, the guys individually, I think, especially with what people have said about them working on, you know, in developmental, working in NXT, these guys individually have a lot to offer. Now, maybe maybe you want to kind of make them a, a face stable. Maybe you want to get people behind them a little bit. It's you know it's 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 unfortunate that these guys are in the in the situation they're in, but given given what's going on with the current you know roster and the WWE programming and the way they're booking a lot of these guys, it, it's it's probably going to end up with three MB getting released at some point, just because there really is nothing for them. You could kind of put them into a feud with the Shield, but they've been they've been jobbed out to the shield so many times you can't even take it seriously which is a a separate issue all its own honestly jinder mahal i think is is a, it would be a great just foreign heel we need a, a nice old school foreign heel that doesn't rely on the racial overcoats of wearing the turban out there but just a nice foreign heel maybe elitist you know he he can say he's like hey you know i got all this money Blah, blah, blah. You don't got to rely on him wearing a turban and coming out to some cheesy rendition of the Iron Sheik's music. We don't need that shit. What we do need is is a guy who's a great foreign heel that, that just... Like, look at Antonio Cesaro. He's a good foreign heel. He doesn't go out there and, and acknowledge it often. But the way that they handled him as a foreign heel, minus the yodeling, is what you could do with a guy like Jinder Mahal. He's not, he's not complete dog shit. Heath Slater isn't shitty either, but... They've just been booked in such a way that you just want to hate them. Honestly, when I saw the match, I was like, we know how this is going to end. I went downstairs. I finished cooking my steak. I came back upstairs and I was just like, yep, it ended exactly how I expected. Paul Heyman showed up on the highlight reel this week. And once again, it was just gold from start to finish. Just great, great mic work. Paul Heyman is just is just an animal on the mic. Especially with a guy like Chris Jericho, of course, CM Punk coming back, handling his business against Chris Jericho at Payback in Chi-Town in Chicago is is just tremendous. But the chemistry between Heyman and Jericho was, was something that once again continues to reinforce why Paul Heyman is one of the best talkers in the game today. And mind you, he's a guy that comes out and he finds... All these little things that can make certain superstars great or or go to the next level. But he himself comes out and just gives us tremendous mic work, amazing angle advancement. Paul Heyman is an asset and not for nothing, whether he's a GM or a manager or leading a stable of Heyman guys, the company needs to make sure that he is kept happy because not for nothing, he makes every performer on that roster look excellent especially with the interactions. Simple as that. Natalia and Caitlin took on the Bella Twins in a, in a complete disaster of a match as usual. I'm sorry, the Bella Twins, you're trying to build this whole thing for E. I understand it, but they are shit. They really are. You can't, you can't really enjoy them because they're just so bad. And the crazy thing is, you know, they, they use the, um, the, the twin magic as usual, uh, we got to see a sharpshooter in Canada, courtesy of Natalia. But you knew how it was gonna how it was gonna end. And then, of course, the the angle advancement 
of, um, you know, the Bella singing Happy Birthday Loser and, you know, them crying, you know, Natalia crying. All of that, I'm sure, will get tossed on E when when the Diva show debuts. But, uh, again, Natalia, one of the better wrestlers in the company, she can't even get over in Canada. Nope. You just got to make her look completely shitty. Completely shitty. Which... What do you expect? And, you know, Quark and Blade acknowledge that in their buried column uh, I better probably than I could have because it's true. It's like, hey, you know, it's your birthday. You're in Canada. But, yeah, we're just going to job you out because that's what that's what we feel like doing. Anyway, Orton and everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite Irishman, Seamus, took on the Road Scholars in a in a solid match. But as usual, like I say, losses hurt certain individuals the road scholars did not need to lose this match and above all else orton and sheamus do not need to get over they don't the fans love them regardless what i will say though is if that if you're if you're grooming orton and sheamus for a tag team title run maybe against the shield okay i understand that but i really don't feel that that wwe is going to do that they're just going to go out there, keep these two guys together for now, because like I said, Mark Henry took his ball and went home because he was injured, which I'll discuss later on, and the big show, just nobody gives a shit about him, so it is what it is, but the losses definitely hurt um, Cody and, and Sandow, they do, there's no necessity to get you know the the Celtic Vipers over, which that's, that, that's not what they're being called, that's just what I figured would be the apropos name for those guys. But like I said, it was a it was a 15-minute match and it was as academic as you would expect. So we get ourselves a non-title match with John Cena and Curtis Axel. Couple of things, it w- it was nice to see a a perfect plex from Curtis Axel, but we're getting the um, you know, we're getting the count-out victories for Curtis Axel which eh, you know, you don't want to weaken him. But Triple H succeeded in doing that a little bit on Monday night. But I will say this. What went on with this with the, with the ambulance match and now that it's being changed into a three stages of hell match is I, I have no legitimate complaint either way. I, I honestly just don't care, which is unfortunate because you should care about the championship to, to some degree. I really don't. Ryback is a terrible, terrible heel terrible is 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 putting it mildly and cena i'm not saying cena won't go out there and give us good matches because because he will that's not a question he will but i will say that the the crowd just doesn't give a shit about either guy as for curtis axel a lot of i've seen a lot of people on on forums and, and on a couple of different websites just just shitting on the guy but you got to take into consideration this guy came in he did he did the he did pretty much the the due diligence by playing the Michael McGillicuddy role he got bitched out when he was in CM Punk's Nexus um he had a nice little tag team run with David Otonga then he went out there and he trained he helped train all these different main eventers to get them ready for their matches the guy is has done nothing but wait for his opportunity and i think with Paul Heyman at the wheel it's going to work these count-out victories, all this shit, for me personally, I'm not a fan of that. I would book it better. But I think that Curtis Axel in the long term will probably be 
one of the marquee talents in the business. And I'll tell you why. The guy has tremendous pedigree. He has a good move. He has a solid move set. And you don't have to go out there and make him a, a carbon copy of it, of his father or his grandfather to get him over. But you have to have those little subtle, those little subtle things that kind of remind you that you know Mr. Perfect is his dad. Pulling out the perfect plex was nice. Personally, I would maybe take that perfect plex setup and maybe use that into like a DDT. Or a, or a driver, maybe a Michinoku style driver, just to to kind of set that up and not have it be just a complete perfect plex because we all know that that's something that he would use. But I would take the the initial part of that maneuver and make it part of something new that he can use as his own finisher. I remember he used to have a um a neck breaker finisher which was which was all right. I think it was it was a decent finisher, but I think the perfect plex would be better suited to do the initial grab for the setup for the perfect plex and maybe either do it into a DDT or, or like I said, do it into a driver style maneuver because it would just like, it would help him once again, just carve his own niche separate from his father and his grandfather. As for, as for the way it ended with Ryback and, and, and the ambulance and all, ugh, it's just like I said, I'm, I really hope that this three stages of hell match closes out that feud and either, we get Cena a brand new challenger or or just something something new comes out of it because other than just the three stages of hell match being a match that's probably going to be one of the one of the standout matches from the card I other than that I just don't give a shit which is which is sad but Ryback as champion I do have to agree with Slick it definitely just won't work because his mic work is god awful Ryback would benefit from from a Paul Heyman. I remember last week we were talking about James Mitchell or or somebody like that. Paul, Ryback needs a mouthpiece. Uh, a mouthpiece, excuse me. The fact is that he needs it. Him coming out there and and, and breathing heavy into the mic and <laughs> no, not Jody Arias slick. Uh him coming out with the heavy breathing and the uh, John Cena. It just it's stupid. It, it's like, look, man, you're not you're not one of the members of the Legion of Doom. It's just not gonna work. It's not. Now, a lot of a lot of people were talking about a particular uh, vignette that was shown, and that was for the Wyatt family. And I didn't get into that because I wanted to kind of give that its own its own section after after discussing Raw. the The Wyatt family has been doing tremendous work in NXT. They they don't look like your like your regular run of the mill wrestlers. Husky Harris has has reinvigorated himself post Nexus with this Max Cady uh, religious cult like stable that he's created, and I think that it's probably going to be one of the most unique stables aside from the Shield on WWE programming because it none of these guys have that look that you'd expect. They're not you know the the jacked up chiseled out of granite wrestlers these are guys that are that are super creepy super scary and I, and like i said i'm really a fan of, of what husky harris has done you can see a lot of um Waylon mercy which was an old gimmick from the old wwf days um a lot of the max katie cape fear gimmick it was masterfully done everything from the music to the way they did it it was super creepy it was it was great, and personally, I'm looking forward to it just because it's going to be a breath of fresh air, much much like the Shield is. It's just going to be something different. Now, a lot of people, of course, they want to make it 
that all oh, the shields should feud with the Wyatt family. It's not even necessary. If, if I'm bringing the Wyatt family in, I'd bring them in, have them on SmackDown for a little bit, kind of keep them and the shield separate because that way you can have two marquee three man factions keeping, keeping the product fresh on both sides. And frankly, I think that by having so much of this stuff on raw SmackDown has suffered tremendously in the past couple of weeks. SmackDown is good, but Raw seems to get the the, the better angles, the, the angle advancement. SmackDown has kind of just fallen by the wayside, which it, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think that by bringing the Wyatts onto SmackDown, you'd, you'd give that brand just a, a, a unique cast of characters that can keep that brand interesting and make people tune in. And above all else, it's just you breathe life into SmackDown. And it's true. I mean, Quark says SmackDown is awesome. It is. From a wrestling standpoint, SmackDown is definitely the better show from a wrestling standpoint. But in terms of star, of star power, they pretty much rape and pillage SmackDown and take all the talent and showcase it on Raw. I know that the brand extension is dead. I get that. But realistically, you got to build up SmackDown a little bit more because on the Sci-Fi Network, even though they're getting... A lot of a lot of viewership on that network. SmackDown can be a lot better. It really could, but unfortunately, they figure that Raw is the flagship show. We're gonna unveil and unleash everyone on Raw and SmackDown. Whatever, we'll we'll throw what we can on SmackDown to keep people interested. It's unfortunate, but that unfortunately is how it's going to be. Anyway. Let's get into some of the other wrestling news for this week because there there are a, a couple of things worth discussing um for those of you that have been watching impact wrestling it actually moved to nine o'clock tonight so i actually wasn't able to watch it in its entirety because you know we got to prep for the show so it's it's not like the old days where i'd be able to share my thoughts on impact right after it's done airing but i will say that there, there has been some decent angle advancement i saw a couple of things um early on with impact but I can't give you guys the full scoop because, like I said, I, I had to shut it off at, at roughly 10 o'clock so I can prep for the show. But I will say that Suicide is, is you know, he's going to be in the title match at the next pay-per-view. And a lot of people were curious as to who was playing Suicide. And after a little bit of homework and reading on a couple of different boards, it seems that TJ Perkins from Ring of Honor has been working as Suicide. Here I thought that they were going to use um, Scorpio Sky or... Um, the guy that played, uh, what the hell was his name? The guy that played Harold, I believe that it that is Scorpio Sky on, on WWE Raw. I thought he was going to be the one playing Suicide, but it turns out that it's TJ Perkins uh, playing the role of Suicide. Suicide initially was played by Kazarian, then Christopher Daniels, then Kiyoshi, but TJ Perkins definitely, you can see he gave Suicide his own spin, and a lot of the offense that he showcased really should have shed some light that it was TJ Perkins under there, but I was not sure because I'd been hearing that it was a couple of different guys under the mask, but I'm glad that TJ Perkins is giving the suicide character um, a breath of fresh air. So earlier this week, um, I read an interesting column on WWE.com talking about some of the best wrestling managers ever. Now, of course I can go through the entire list, but what fun is that? I do want to talk about the top five that they chose for the best wrestling managers ever, because I'm sure that these are some choices that are going to cause some debate in the chat 
and I'm sure some of our listeners are going to have their own choices. Um, Captain Lou Albano was number five. Classy Freddie Blassie was number four. Jimmy Hart was number three. Paul Heyman was number two. And the number one best wrestling manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Of course, Miss Elizabeth, Jim Cornette, Million Dollar Man, they were all there. But the top five, a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, Paul Heyman should have been number one or, you know, Freddie Blassie should have been higher up. But these these five guys, you could really interchange them and it wouldn't bother me in the least. Bobby the Brain Heenan was probably one of the best wrestling managers during my childhood. I probably booed him more than I booed any manager growing up as a kid and that clearly means he was doing his job right. Don't get me wrong, I liked I liked Slick, I liked Mr. Fuji. I was a, I was a big fan of Mr. Fuji, especially um when he was managing the Orient Express and Yokozuna. I was I was super pumped with Mr. Fuji. Um Clarence Mason is another guy. Sonny Ono from WCW I liked. But again, the top 5 that are in there you can interchange them. Uh, Slick himself says Bobby Heenan is better than Heyman. I definitely think so. Heyman, though, is... I'd like to say that that Paul Heyman is the Bobby Heenan of this generation. I, th- I think that's a, that's a solid assessment. In terms of overall management, though, Bobby Heenan was in a separate class. I, nothing... There's no better Heenan memory for me than when the Ultimate Warrior put him in the weasel suit. And it, it was it was tremendous. I remember thinking that that was probably one of the coolest things when I was younger. Um, you know, Jimmy Hart. Everybody everybody loves Jimmy Hart. He he was tremendous as well. I also got to throw Bill Alfonso in there. I was a big fan of Bill Alfonso with the fucking whistle. I hated him so much, but again, he succeeded in making you hate him. Bill Alfonso definitely is one of those guys that I was I was a fan of as well. I gotta take I gotta take a moment though, and I read this on Super Luchas earlier this week, and I gotta talk about this. Um, the passing of Hector Garza. If any of you watch Monday Nitro or or TNA in in the in the early in the early two thousands, you saw Hector Garza perform. I remember watching him on Monday Nitro performing against Silver King and a couple of other guys. Unfortunately, um, he passed away at the age of forty three. He was battling lung cancer. And he had been diagnosed with it in October 2012. Um, of course, it's, you know, I'm bummed. Not not because Hector Garza was a guy that you would expect to see on WWE TV or you would expect to see on TNA, but he was a guy that he did have a lot to offer the the industry, especially from the stand from the standpoint of he went out there and he had great matches with every luchador that that he was involved with, from guys like Silver King Juventud Guerrera, um, Ultimo Dragon, Dean Malenko, the list goes on. Hector Garza um, competed with all those guys, and he always delivered solid matches, enjoyable matches. I even saw Hector Garza wrestle on um, some of the old Lucha Libre they used to show on Univision and on Channel 47 here. Um, Both of those, they used to show it, and he he was a tremendous talent. So, you know, of course, our condolences go out to his family. And um, it's unfortunate, man. Lung cancer took him at 43 years old. If you want to look up some of his matches, YouTube is your friend. I think if you look up Hector Garza and Silver King, that's actually a really good match. And probably Hector Garza and um, what the hell was that guy's name? Not Juventud Guerrero, the other guy with the mask. Oh, shit. 
He re- when he when he got unmasked, he wrestled as Nicho. I'm trying to remember what that guy's name was. If it comes back to me, I'll share it in the chat. But definitely check out some of Hector Garza's matches. He was he was very 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 talented. So, as I mentioned, Mark Henry took his ball, so to speak, and went home. Um, WWE had a major storyline allegedly planned for him, according to Raja.com, but it seems uh, Mark Henry wanted to take some time off to heal from his injuries. And, of course, you know, WWE is cool with their their performers taking time off to rest, but there's rumors that they are upset with him because the plan was they spent all this time and effort to get him hot. And then for him to take time off, it just stalls the momentum. But I will say this. Mark Henry's been with the company so many years. And he's been underutilized so many times. That if the guy has a dozen injuries, I kind of can't blame him for wanting to take the time off. Uh, on the contrary, he, he he's, a, he's a large athlete. His body's been through tremendous wear and tear. And he's lost a, lot, a significant amount of weight. To, to get himself into ring shape. And I'm sure those nagging injuries, they creep up and, and they take their toll. This is where I say that, you know, a Big E Langston benefits because, you know, Big E Langston can come in and get himself more noticed as, you know, the more marquee strongman type persona in the WWE. Now, rumors were allegedly going around that Mark Henry and Big E Langston would have a match at SummerSlam. Now, I don't know if, if this puts that those plans in jeopardy, but that's a match I actually would have been intrigued to see just because it may it could have been a passing of the torch, especially for a guy like Mark Henry, who I think is on his last legs. I, I if if Mark Henry wrestles for, for at minimum two or three years, I'd be shocked. Not because the guy wants to retire, but just because he's been with the company for so long and I'm sure he's got so many nagging injuries that I'm sure the guy would like to wake up and be able to walk to the bathroom and sit on the bowl without a bag of ice on his knee or his shoulder or his neck or his back. So on on one side I can understand WWE's frustration because Mark Henry they've they've they really have booked him very well during during this latest run. But on the other side you had ample opportunities to book him well, and you did, you know, sexual chocolate and all this other bullshit. So, you know, the guy's got to go home and, and, and get his son handy ready for college. So I can't blame the guy. Nurses injuries, get his, get his handy son ready for college. What do you expect? Give, don't be so hard on the guy. <laughs> Seriously. But I will say this. Biggie Langston, take the ball and run with it. Because when Mark Henry comes back, I'm sure that they'll set both of those guys on a collision course. Seriously. So, before I started the show tonight, and this is going to be the last bit of news since I couldn't watch Impact, I follow Dixie Carter on, on Twitter. Dixie Carter, of course, is the, the president of TNA Wrestling. She put a, up a tweet that said that the ink is drying on a big free agent that will rock Impact Live on, on Spike TV. And, of course, she put tune in and join us on this summer adventure. There have been a lot of rumors, MVP, a lot of guys, but very interesting. I saw on the spotlight on, on Facebook that John Blade shared that John Morrison is following Dixie Carter now. Is it John Morrison that's going to sign with TNA? Who knows? But not for nothing, I think Morrison would do well. I don't know about putting him in the main card right away, but I think John Morrison in the X Division would be amazing. He'd have great matches with Kenny King, Saban, all those guys. 
give him a run in the X division for a little bit, transition him to maybe the TV title and then move him up gradually. I think John Morrison is a guy who can who can be a flag bearer for your company. I know WWE had those plans with him initially. Again, don't quote me on it, but it's definitely very interesting and full credit goes to the crew at the spotlight for for sharing that and bringing that to light because I would not have noticed it, but some guys, you know, they they dig a little deeper than others, but Morrison and TNA, not the worst thing in the world and Honestly, with with Jeff Hardy and his his suspect um, television time the last couple of months, I'll take John Morrison over Jeff Hardy. I I think that Morrison is a better worker. He's more television friendly and you don't got to deal with, you know, any of those the the drug issues, not letting you go into Canada or into the UK or whatever and not having to come up with angles to write him off. I, I think Morrison definitely has a tremendous future in TNA wrestling if he goes there. Either way, I wouldn't mind Morrison in the W in the WWE either, but I can deal with it on Impact. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. We're gonna go right into gaming. So last week Slick joined me to discuss the Xbox one and we pretty much took the system to not to task, but there were a lot of things that we pointed out that we really were not fans of whether it was the, the, the focus on the entertainment aspect and less on the games. Now I got an email earlier this week and the guy didn't give his name, just sent the email from a UK email address. And he said, and I quote, he said the following, He goes, you guys are sitting there complaining about the Xbox One, but you guys are missing the entire point of the event, which is that they wanted to showcase the entertainment aspect of the system and save all the games and all the extra stuff for E3. Why would you want to show all that stuff at the event and not show off anything on E3? Just my thoughts. Don't kill me on air. Anyway, couple of things. I understand the necessity to to showcase some stuff at E3. I have no problem with that. But when you're building an entire event on a system launch, you want to showcase some games. You really do. I don't understand the, the complete necessity to go full-on entertainment only. There's plenty of opportunity for you to extol the virtues of it as an entertainment console through, for, for, for the foreseeable future. Games are are what are going to get people's attention. Look at it this way. You see the announcement for the Xbox 360. They're like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to get Gears or you're going to get Halo 4 or whatever. Those are the kind of games that are going to move systems. Don't get me wrong. FIFA, Call of Duty, all that stuff. That's great. You know, it's great that that stuff is going to be on Xbox. But let's look at it from the standpoint that you want certain titles to be showcased during system announcements because those are the titles that you're going to want to sell on day one with the system. Great. You know, you got Call of Duty with the dogs and all this shit. It, it's fantastic. Congratulations. whoop the damn do But you want those IPs that you can showcase that people are going to be like, damn, I want to go and buy a system for that. I remember buying the original Xbox, the big, the big-ass black box, not the one that's called the Xbox One, but the original one, because of Halo. 
I remember Halo just blew my mind when I saw it, and I went, and I bought that big-ass Xbox just for Halo. And then other games came out. Some were a little uh, a little more suspect than others. You know, Kakuto Chojin definitely is in that list. But realistically, the fact is you want to showcase at least one AAA title to get people's to get people's interest peaked. Look, I understand. Netflix, cable overlays, all this other shit. I got it. It makes sense. But not showing anybody any games that are going to want to make people buy systems, it, it just it just doesn't work for me. I'm sorry, it doesn't. Simple as that. Anyway, let's get into the other gaming news for this week and we'll share some thoughts on on the other stuff with Xbox One later on in the segment. So, EA made sure made made it a point to remind gamers that they're going to be supporting current generation consoles for the foreseeable future. Uh, Blake Jorgensen spoke at to you know while speaking at GameSpot about the fact that games will continue to be released on the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 through 2017 at the least. He also shed some light on the Star Wars license, saying that they do have an opportunity to do a brand new Star Wars Battlefront, and they're very excited about that, but there are no planned titles for the film adaptations currently. Again, nice work, EA. I'm glad you guys said that you're going to support the current gen, but notice that they didn't say anything about the Wii U, which is a separate issue all its own, and the fact is they're going to support it till till 2017. There's a couple of there's a couple of things to look at with that. Obviously, Sony and Microsoft expect this both systems to coexist for the foreseeable future with regards to shelf life. The PlayStation 2, look how long the PlayStation 2 was being sold that it was to the point where they had to pull the plug on it on purpose. It's insane, but I will say this, in EA's case, I can tell you that Microsoft is definitely going to have the upper hand going into this next generation, you know, the next set of console wars. Because look at it this way. Microsoft knows that they can they can toss serious amounts of money at EA and EA will gladly bend over and and get and give it up to Microsoft because they know that Microsoft just has infinitely deeper pockets sony has deep pockets too but microsoft just just digs out and throws money at you left and right whether it's for exclusivity on map packs or exclusivity in regards to um dlc content or exclusivity with regards to just the release of the game in general microsoft definitely has the tools to make that their number one priority so ea is really sitting pretty right now to be able to get their games on on current gen consoles plus next gen consoles that's just that's just extra money simple as that but the thing the thing I do want to say that really gets my goat is the fact that EA is is showing us lots of sports stuff and they're kind of just putting all their eggs in one basket with the sports you know FIFA Madden those are always going to guarantee those are all guaranteed titles. I want to see what they're going to do with the UFC license. I'm curious to see how good that looks. I mean, they showed the little tech demo with the Showtime kick, but I want to see if if anything from EA MMA was integrated into this new UFC game. I'm very I'm very curious about that. And the other thing was that 
their their desire to get in bed with the UFC, they pretty much pulled the plug on Fight Night as a franchise for the foreseeable future. So definitely something worth looking at as well. I got to give a shout out to those of you that game on your iOS devices, especially iPads and, and iPhones, because you'll be able to play a little bit of Phoenix Wright. Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney's Trilogy will be debuting uh, this. Actually, it's in stores today. You'll be able to get all three DS titles remastered and enhanced for Retina Displays. Uh, The app right now is free on iOS 5.0 and greater devices, and it'll allow you to play the first two chapters. You can purchase each game separately. Obviously, the first game is going to be $6, and the last two will be $7 each, or you can buy the bundle for $17. This is actually... Uh, a, a big bit of news for a couple of reasons. Number one, DS titles making the transition to handheld devices. Not only that, but they're being remastered and enhanced for retina displays. Something that's going to be very interesting to see in the coming months because Ace Attorney is just one of them. Imagine if more DS titles are, be, be, are transitioned to, well, third-party titles are transitioned to iOS devices and android devices i think it's going to be something that's going to nibble at least a little bit into the market share that nintendo and sony have in the handheld market definitely interesting times with regards to that i know that slick is on air while he's holding and he wants to come on air to uh, give me a little assist on the gaming segment so let me bring him on real quick slick what's up dude what's up man Ah, uh, not too much. It's uh, it's it's a it's a wild night so far. But um, you saw, I'm sure you heard the the wonderful email I got with regards to the Xbox One, and you were you were very vocal about it, early, you know, last week as was I. How do you feel about it? Do you think that the 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 point is valid in that you know showcasing entertainment at the uh you know at the big announcement and then saving the games for e3 was the was the right strategy or do you think that we needed to see at least one flagship title to really put it over the top well i want to honor the guy's request and not kill him on air but i want to say that i feel he makes a valid point but i don't agree with it because First and foremost, Xbox, just the brand Xbox, equals gaming. Right. Whether you want to introduce a whole slew of entertainment suites with the Xbox One or not, the Xbox has always been associated with gaming. So it doesn't matter what you make the box do, it needs to be a game console, like I said last week, First and foremost. Okay. And you literally did not show any games at your announcement. You showed game trailers. Right. And what's worse about that is that 90, 95% of what you showed were not Xbox games. Because you had this whole big deal about you being in bed with EA. So what? It doesn't matter what you do. How much money you throw at them, those games will come out on the PS3 and the PS4. Right. And they won't come out any any different date. The DLC might, but the actual game, 
will come out the same day on either console. Okay. Because EA's not stupid. This is true. And the one game you did show that is an Xbox game is Forza. Okay. I understand going back to what the guy said. I'm going by his letter right now. You want to focus on the entertainment things and save the games primarily for E3. That actually is a smart statement. So, again, I'm not killing you on air. I'm saying this is a smart statement. But show one game. That's it. At the, at the, you could have demoed Forza or demoed another game, and it would have been fine. Yep. I wouldn't even be as upset as I am. No, sir, I agree. The thing is, while I personally have always preferred the PlayStation, I like the Xbox. Yeah, so this, like I always say, I buy single-player games like the game coming out this Tuesday, Remember Me? I'll buy that on the PS on the PS3. It's a single-player game. The game that was big for me in May was was um, Dead Island Riptide. That's a, mainly a multiplayer game. I got that for the 360. I get multiplayer games on the 360 because this console generation, 360 is the, the console, console you buy your multiplayer games for. That's just plain and simple. That's it. Well, that and, I, uh, I adopted that logic as well. You know, multiplayer games on the 360, single-player games on the PS3 and not for nothing. It's been a a strategy that has benefited me because it it allows me to, to dust off the PS3 because sometimes, you know, the the system falls by the wayside because, you know, I'm playing so many things on the, on the 360 because of Xbox live that I, I lose sight of it. Like, you know, Asura's wrath, metal gear, revengeance, all that stuff. You know, that's definitely getting love on the, on the, on the PS3 side. And again, I agree, but it's like, you look at the, the Sony conference, and one reason is the fact that they didn't wait until two weeks before freaking, well, three weeks before E3 to announce their console. They before. demonstrated freaking, well, three Live. weeks before E3 to Multiple announce games. their console. They before. demonstrated freaking, well, three Live. weeks before E3 to Multiple announce games. their console. Go ahead. I don't know if you hear Echo, but I. Yeah, know. I did. I just, I just caught that. I fixed it. Okay. They they demonstrated their games. And, again, I always say I don't care that they didn't show me a piece of plastic because, ultimately, that's what, the, that's what Microsoft showed you because you have the guy demonstrating what the, what the Xbox can do. There's, there's no proof that what we saw on that screen – was being generated by that Xbox One that he had right in front of him. That's very that could true. Have been a canned, a canned uh, video with somebody hitting freaking slides, you know, or um, playing video on command. There's no proof that the actual Xbox did that. That that's a hundred percent true. So I mean, fork, fork all you the... showed me was a piece of plastic and a connect. Fork in the chat. And that's why and... I say I don't care that you didn't show me an actual PS4 box. You'll show it to me at E3, and again, until the release date, until I pick up that big, heavy-ass cardboard box with a, with a serial number on it, I don't care what the con- what the console looks like. Even when I p- open it up and put it down in my house, 
it could be a big plastic dick. I'm gonna put it away in my in my entertainment center anyway. I'm not gonna look at it as long as it plays my games. I don't care. Well, here's one one crazy thing, and and it's something that that both Quark and Strider brought up respectively is the fact that right now PS3's exclusives just are better, and I and, and I'm and and it's easy to base that on the fact that you know you have Killzone, you have Drake, Kratos, you know, you got God of War, um, what the hell's the other shooter? Uh, shit. Not Killzone, the other one. Ah. I know what you're talking about. Um. (laughs) Seriously. I'm looking at all my games right now, trying to find it. Yeah, so. While I'm talking. Well, you know what it is? Looking at that, that's 100% accurate. Resistance, thank you very much. Resistance, you know, you have all those games. Thank you, Strider, as well. You have all those games that have the potential to move systems. And that's what I'm saying. When you when you make an announcement, I'm not telling you, and this is, you know, I understand where the guy was coming from. I'm not saying Microsoft should have showed their entire hand. But even if they would have been like Halo 5 or, you know, Gears of War, you know, whatever, or something, something that's marquee, that's a flagship, that makes people go, holy shit, you know, I want to buy that system for that game. Sony has that. Sony has that without even trying hard. Uncharted 3, and, and, and I'm quoting Quark in the chat, Uncharted 3 is a system seller. You look at that game, you look at those visuals, you, you, become, you become enamored with the system because you're like, wow, this system is pushing out water effects to the point where it looks like I can touch it on my screen. It's it's amazing. Uncharted Three is a system seller. The Red God of War Three PS Three that was a system seller. Right. Even though even though that that particular God of War, while it was good, I'm sorry, dude. God of War Three was it. Like like if you want to showcase the power of that system, like God of War Two kind of scratched the surface. Three was just like get ready to have your eyes ripped out of your head, because it was just remarkably well executed, graphically superior. It just pushed the system to a new level. Same thing with Uncharted. Uncharted, every Uncharted game progressively got better from a graphical standpoint. You're dealing with 50 gig Blu-rays. That means that you can apply tremendous graphics. Come on, you know I look. I'm not saying that Sony's going to come out and win the system war, but if if they come out of the pocket and they show system selling titles at E3, the people are going to take even more notice. Don't get me wrong, the yes, one because let's let's look at just 2013 so far. What is Microsoft put out that is considered exclusive? Gears of War Judgment, glorified Which... DLC. If it's not being received that well, what is Sony putting out? In two weeks, they're putting out The Last of Us, which is a brand new IP from from um, Naughty Dog, the people who brought us Uncharted. People are throwing money at them. Right. There's a $150 version of the game that is a GameStop exclusive and the shit is sold out. People are throwing money at that game. It, it, you know what the thing and is? It's not even out yet. 
Well, the other elephant in the room, and, and, you know, I'm glad we can acknowledge, you know, the email I received. The other elephant in the room that we talked about last week was used games and, you know, rentals, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there was a huge uproar about the way it was going to be done, blah, blah, blah. You know, Xbox released a statement, which is Xbox One is designed to support the trade in and resale of games. So Polygon, which is um, a division of The Verge, which is a tremendous website, um, they they put out a report that said that the games would that you wouldn't be charging being charged for the game, but rather the license would follow the disc. According to the report they put out, it says that the re- that the Xbox One will use its system, you know, to check for internet connection periodically to determine authentication of the game. Every Xbox One game disc will contain an encryption code that the console reads. When the game is installed, the code and console information will be uploaded to Microsoft's database, which will periodically check from time to time to make sure that the game isn't being played on an unauthorized account. It does note that this is occurring. Obviously, the system will let you know. If the game is not being played on the original owner's console, it will deauthorize itself and then conform to the new console it's being played on. According to Polygon's report, there's no additional uh, no additional fees that will be part of the process. Now, here's here's the here's the thing with that. In looking at this, the necessity for the system to always be connected it is there. Even though they they didn't go outright and say, "Hey, the system has to always be connected to the web." Think about that. Think about the fact that, you know, It's something that is, is like, it, it, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth that it even came up. Well, Quark brought up the fact that, you know, the PS3 executives trolling DRM, you know, on Twitter is something that's been making waves. And the reason I haven't really talked about that is because I wanted to get into this with the 360, because if, if you're just using this periodic authentication and let's say I take a game and I sell it to you. And it deauthorizes from my system and gets authorized on yours. Okay, fair enough. But here's here's exactly what I'm saying. All Microsoft has spent its time doing the last couple of weeks now, the last two weeks, is putting out fires that they themselves caused. Think about it. Instead of acknowledging all this shit at, at the at the at the onset, it's like, oh my god, look at this firestorm of shit that we're causing. Quick, we gotta do something. And all of a sudden now they gotta go and put out all these fires. Sony's just having a blast with all this shit. Like like Quark had said, trolling trolling the DRM, putting out a, a, a thing that says, hey, you know, we play games. You know, little little subtle shots being fired in Microsoft's direction. But the fact remains that if Xbox, if Microsoft would have done their event and had an answer for every one of these questions, the backlash and the bullshit that they're dealing with would have been minimal. People would have been pissed off about the games, but, you know, you would have had all those other questions answered. Especially used games. Same thing with rentals. Like, are you going to give companies like Gamefly special versions of the game that'll be automatically authorized on every system they're played on? An interesting question. Yeah, it is. What what happens? My, my other, good. No, what I was going to say is what happens if I'm playing a game and I don't sell it, but I lend it to you 
and it deauthorizes itself from my system, reauthorizes itself on your system, then when you give it back to me to me to for me to play it, will there be a problem with the game authorizing and reauthorizing, you know, deauthorizing itself so much? We right? hope the answer to be no, but it, it's left to be seen. Think about that. Think about that. I lend you a game. You play it for a week. You beat the game. Rich, I'm done with the game. Here you go. I decide to play it because whatever, they release some DLC or some shit, throw it back in there. Boom. What happens? Is, is it going to reauthorize itself? Is there going to be a limit to how many times the game can reauthorize and deauthorize itself? Like, like these are questions that they really should... They, they should be... And as silly as it is, an FAQ right on the site. Use games. This is what we're going to do. Rentals. This is what we're going to do. Buying and selling games. This is what we're going to do. I'm not saying that you got to give, you know, a a whole five-page dissertation on this shit. But seriously, give us answers to these questions that are going to be the ones that people are going to nitpick about until E3. I definitely agree. And again, to address the the letter, the big issue is even if you save your game to E3, this is the fact that remains. There are people who, you know, have nothing better to do than sit around and make YouTube videos, and they've made compilations from the Microsoft announcement. Television or TV was mentioned roughly five times as many times as gaming was in that that um, announcement. Okay, and that's to me that's bad because again, the focus is not on gaming, right? And the people who will be hopefully won't have to be standing out in the in the cold in November or whenever the console comes out, waiting for this, this console to, to come out at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, those are going to be gamers. Right. The, the, the families, the moms and pops that have to buy it for their, their whining kid, or, or like the grandmas who, who are going to put it in their, their household for, you know, the connect exercising and stuff like that, they're not going to be out there at launch. Nope. They'll be lucky if they get it at Christmas. It Well, you know, Strider made up a, an interesting point. What if you give the game to somebody as a gift? Like, what are you going to have to do? Are you going to have to deauthorize it? And then when they authorize it, they could say they received it as a gift? Like, like, it, like these are all very interesting questions that are being posed by, by guys that, you know, like guys like Strider, wait, guys wait, like wait, wait. Quark. You know that aren't. If you gave it as a gift, wouldn't it be unopened? No, no, no. Like, like if I, like if I played the game for a while, and I, and and I said instead of selling it on eBay, I said, "Here, Slick, you can have this game." Okay, you just passing it on. Right. That's another thing because if if the logic that 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 Polygon put in their report applies, then it would deauthorize itself from my system. And then be reauthorized on yours. If it's if it's that simple, okay. But I have a, a, a nagging feeling that it's not going to be 
that simple? No, I don't think it will be either. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is that Phil Spencer, um, you know, from Microsoft Game Studio, said that there's going to be a big announcement for the Xbox 360 at E3. He said that the company will support the platform for years to come and even has a huge announcement at E3. His statement was as follows. I think the 360 is going to be very vibrant for many years. In fact, we have a huge announcement for E3 that I keep wanting to talk about, but I can't. I think it will surprise people. I love what we did last year with Minecraft. Bring Minecraft to the box. Six million units later, it's kind of a beast. I think there's a lot of life in the Xbox for years to come. Over 77 million Xbox 360 units have been sold. Xbox Live memberships are currently at 46 million people. So, with that said, let, let, let's, see what, let's see what you think. What do you think the, the big announcement is going to be? I don't know. I hope it's not another piece of hardware. It's, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a game that people have been waiting for. I, you know, I personally can't speculate on it. Strider, Strider says Killer Instinct. I touched on that last week. Yep. I, I think as much as I would want to play it, I think it's too little too late for Killer Instinct. Plus, Rare does not have a good track record on the Xbox 360. Yes, that we do know. Perfect Dark Zero, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and like, Rare has fucked up their own franchises on the Xbox 360. Perfect Dark Zero was garbage. The Banjo-Kazooie game was utterly forgettable. So I don't even know if I want them to do Killer Instinct. Like I said, I'll play it, but will it be good? I think I think that the big announcement for th- for the 360 is going to be something that's going to expand its shelf life. Now, what I was thinking was, and and this is insane. Imagine Xbox Gold members will get the entire X library of games from the first Xbox for free on the 360. It's a crazy notion, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, excuse me. You know, but but at least like something like that, people be like, oh shit, you know, like it would soften, it would you know give the 360 some shelf life. I gotta I gotta acknowledge what Strider said, Viva Pinata. <laughs> that actually would be a big announcement for a lot of people. Yep, but but thing but things like that. I think that that Xbox surprising people with this quote unquote huge announcement. I think it's gonna be something that's gonna give the system shelf life for the foreseeable future. And kind of soften the blow of all this Xbox One hysteria. But I think it's going to be done in a way to to distract the gaming community from the Xbox One until they get all the questions fully answered and they kind of dispel a lot of the myths and the craziness that's out there. And that's what we're waiting for on um, June 10th. At E3. Right. I know earlier on you had mentioned the uh, the Last of Us. They actually um, started already releasing the DLC plans for the season pass. Um, right now, the day one unlocks for those with a season pass include increased crafting speed, increased healing speed, nine millimeter nine millimeter reload speed upgrade, and the rifle clip capacity upgrade. 
The season pass also grants access to Grounded, which is the 90-minute documentary on the development of the game, which, of course, will have behind-the-scenes interviews with the team. Also, they're going to be offering some single-player DLC for the game, which will be followed by two multiplayer content packs that are going to feature additional maps and other expansions. And how much is all that shit going to cost? No idea yet. They they made sure to tell us what's in it, but they didn't tell us how much it's going to cost. You know how I feel about DLC. This is also, like, another game where, again, it's not out yet, but this game has sort of a Tomb Raider-like feel to me, and I feel like, why is there multiplayer in this game? It's probably going to be like that, like Uncharted and and Tomb Raider multiplayer, where it's there, it's not mandatory, but we're going to include it anyway. Oh, it just doesn't feel like, like, knowing what I know of the story, it doesn't feel like the type of game that even should have a multiplayer mode. Right. But whatever, we'll see how that does. Well, EA, it was... And, um, go ahead. Like... June is going to be a big a big month for gaming, though. There's, there's a lot of decent games coming out. Yeah, a lot of great I mean, games to have, get the summer started. And you know usually the summer's kind of dead, so hopefully the trend continues. Well, June is going to be good. July is going to be kind of dead, and August will be good. Because June you got Remember Me, you have The Last of Us, you have um, hopefully Deadpool won't be a piece of shit. You got uh, for the the B movie ish type fans. You got the next version of Earth Defense Force coming out, and uh, Animal Crossing too for the, the the handheld fans. Right. Speaking of handheld, that's uh, another well, I guess, kind of unfair advantage that the PS4 will have because reports are saying that the PS4, uh, all the PS4 games will have portability to the Vita. Yeah, that that that's actually that's actually a handy effect and I think it's going to be something that's going to move it's going to move more Vita units. I agree because I I know I'm not just speaking for myself when I say I'm not the only one who's been playing a game and said fuck, I got to go to work. Yep. So being able, like, if you, especially if you commute, that'll be those people will definitely be getting Vitas. Well, if they don't already have them. Well, the other the other thing about it also that makes it promising is you take games that are that are that are epic games like like Uncharted and things like that. Being able to take those games with you and still be, you know, involved in these large stories are gonna are gonna make the handheld market more approachable by fans that are like like myself you know i'm i'm a home console person i don't i don't i don't really commute anywhere but you know i if if, if the vita does that with all the games and stuff you know i i'd, I'd take my uh, a vita to work and you know on my lunch break play a couple of levels while i'm having lunch you know it, it, the appeal is definitely there that's what I, that's exactly what i'm saying there was always this talk of of Microsoft having a handheld, and unless that's the big, well, that wouldn't be the big announcement because they said it's for the 360. So 
there, they kind of dropped the ball on that if they were ever going to do that. This is true. Oh, the big announcement, we shall find out what the deal is on the 10th. But the other the other thing I wanted to bring up is that EA is pulling the plug on their online passes. A lot of the games are having their online passes retroactively removed. And, um, of course, that's going to free up the games for multiplayer. Then there's also going to be games where the um, the online pass is just going to be gone. So, let, 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 right now, it looks like 10 games, you know, have either been eliminated from that or they've been removed. So, games with online passes, you know, Battlefield Bad Company, Bulletstorm, um, Mass Effect, Need for Speed, Skate. Mass Effect 2, I should say, all of that. They're they're discontinuing the online pass for that, and then they're just going to remove it from all existing EA titles. What, meaning that people won't have to pay to play online? Right. What do you do, EA? You're doing something you never should have started in the first fucking place. Well, Strider makes up a, makes up, makes a valid point. He said it. What about the people that paid for the passes? I'm going to be kind of pissed. No, they absolutely will not reimburse them. Oh, of course not. You know they're not going to get them. Re- talking about. Oh, yeah, of course. This is, this is why, again, going back to the Microsoft con- um, announcement, when they said we have a partnership with EA, I was like, big fucking deal. Right. Like, if you're a gamer, saying that I have a partnership with EA is like being Lois Lane and say, hey, Clark, I got this kryptonite diaphragm. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, the the thing with EA and their online passes, at least in my opinion, was the fact that this was this was EA's way, and and a couple of companies also that instituted these online passes. They wanted to kind of stick it to to GameStop, and that and I and I understood that. The problem was that EA made it so cumbersome that it was it was just ridiculous. It was just ridiculous to the point where it's like, buy the game. Oh, you just bought the game? Well, if you want to play it online, you got to enter your online pass now. Like, holy shit, you know? Like, like it was just another step. Like you'd have, And if you lost that slip of paper before you entered it, you wouldn't even be able to go to the online pass, and then you'd have to pay money. Because you know that happens. Sometimes people buy the game, they lose the, the, the insert that's inside the box, and... But what are you going to do, not play multiplayer? If you're playing something like Medal of Honor or Battlefield, you're not going to do that? Get out of here. I'm just waiting for... If EA really wanted to do something for us, because, I mean, again, me personally, I'm not one who very frequently buys used games. How about, since we take these games and we load them down with ads in the game... How about we're, we're gonna, you know, lower the price or something? Well, I'm I would, like, how is it? How is it? I can buy one game for sixty dollars, has no ads in it, and then buy your shit, which has a ton of advertisements all over it, and I still gotta pay the same price. Well, I was talking. I was talking with with Josh earlier, and he made up a valid point, which is. You when you pay sixty dollars for a game, you're paying for the game, you're paying for the for the packaging, you're paying for the creation of the instruction manual, you're paying for the shipment to the retailer. 
So why is that same game as a digital download on Xbox Live still $60? And, you know, you've brought this up, too. If EA wanted to do something and change the, the way people look at them, they should say, hey, you buy Madden in stores, $60. Hey, if you got a good internet connection, you could buy Madden on your console for $49.99. Or, 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 you know, or give, give them a $10 discount to eliminate the fact that you're, you know, they don't got to pay for a box or instructions or any of that shit. But don't, you know, don't say, hey, Buy our game for sixty bucks in your in the store. Oh, but you don't want to get up and go to the store and deal with people because you hate their guts. You still got to pay sixty bucks. Exactly. Ridiculous. But um, going back to the whole summer drought uh, issue, June looks good. July looks kind of ass. August actually looks pretty damn good. That there's Madden. A lot of games coming out on August, like there's, there's Pikmin, there's a, a new Mario game, there's the um, Super, the Super Mario U downloadable content, which gives like a whole new adventure starring Luigi. There's Disney Infinity, there's Saints Row Four, Lost Planet Three, all kinds of shit. And then of course, there's that Madden. That's right, that Madden. Which, which, by the way, it's funny because, you know, Microsoft, when they showed off the Xbox One, they showed off all these other titles where, well, it's funny because um, Don Matrick, who's the president of Interactive Entertainment for Microsoft, said that they've invested a billion dollars in development for, of software for the Xbox One, but partly because they want to launch 15 exclusive titles, of which eight are new IPs in its first year on the market. So in its first year, they want to get eight, you know, 15 titles out of the gate. And of course, followed by more titles preceding the system's launch. Now, the thing I wanted to, to talk to you about is, you know, we, we got Madden, we got all that stuff, which you know is coming. But do you think that the, the, the release of 15 IPs within the first year of the system being on the market is, is probably going to be a major selling point And is the, the necessity of eight of them being new, going to be something that may kind of make gamers a little hesitant. And the reason I say that is because think of this, you got your flagship launch titles or franchises. People know, then you introduce those new IPs gradually. Do you think that dropping eight new IPs at once is going to, is going to definitely be a detriment to the system? Or is it something that they kind of need to do in order to gain a foothold? Because you know, hardware launches are always mired with lack of games. Microsoft absolutely needs new IPs. I don't recall them having seven actual IPs, you know, exclusive IPs as it is. I could be wrong, but I don't recall it. And I agree with, I forgot who said it, whether it was Adam Sessler or somebody else. I don't believe they're actually going to make it. Because 15 new IPs Within the first year of No, launch. no, no. It's 15 exclusives, 8 are new IPs. Sorry, sorry. 15 exclusives with 8 new IPs. Just 15 new games that are Xbox exclusives. That's over a game a month. Yep, one of them we know is FIFA. When has anybody ever done that? It, it, it the the thing with that is it's it's that's great on paper 
but you got to get those launch titles. You got to make sure that gamers have at least three months of solid games for a first party uh, brand new system launch. I'm, look at what happened to the Wii U. They came out of the gate strong, treading water. Same thing with the PS3 when it first came out. Obviously, that has since changed. But Sony, I think Sony's taken this opportunity to remedy and fix every mistake they've made during the Xbox, the, the PlayStation 3's life cycle. I agree. And again, it's even with the PS4, it's let's wait and see. Yep. But the way they came out the gate, the wait and see seems... More prevalent. More of a... It seems more positive than it does with the Xbox. Right. And that could change in E3. Absolutely. But, I mean, at least in E3, you, it lets, whether you're walking in there or tuning in, when it comes to the PlayStation 4, you at least have a few titles that you're looking forward to. Like, you know what to look for. I agree. With the Xbox One, it's like, Yo, show me that new TV tuner, dude. That's pretty much it. I think I think E3 is going to be very telling in terms of the forecast for the next generation. I, I honestly think that E3, as much as a lot of these publishers and a lot of these developers are, are kind of downplaying its importance, I think a strong showing at E3 is what's going to really kind of make people, well, kind of force people to choose a side in this console war because if the games are showcased in a way that people are going to say, damn, I need to buy this system for these five games, then, you know, the loyalties will be tested. The other thing also is launch windows because you, it's almost a no brainer that the Xbox one will probably launch on the anniversary of, or close to the anniversary of either the original Xbox or the 360. Sony can, can change the game a couple of ways. Sony can say, hey, we're going to launch in October and get a month head start. Well, Sony has kind of said that they're going to launch in November, so the likelihood that they'd launch earlier is kind of low, but you're right about that. But I think if they launch in October, they might not have any, any games because like a lot of the games are starting to show release dates in there saying November. Well, you know what was funny? A couple of a couple of people, and I heard this also on, um, you know, on on Andrew's What the Tech show, was the fact that think about this: dropping the Xbox 360. Actually, no, not on What the Tech on on the T4 show with um, Coleman, Michael Mana. They were talking about dropping the Xbox One in August to take advantage of Madden. I actually think that if they would have had a, a decent launch lineup, that would have been a serious, serious problem. Well, if Xbox One were ready to do that, that would be smart. Yep. And, and that's because of the features that they have shown. Right. Because then they would come out in time for people to set up their fantasy football. Yep. I'm sure the way the Xbox works, there would be some way... To link yep. uh, Madden 25, or is it 26? Well, yeah, 25. The next, the next Madden to the the 2013-2014 um, NFL season. And, I mean, if they could do that, 
then they absolutely should come out in August. And it wouldn't even be about, really wouldn't be about beating the PS4 to the, to the, um, to, to launch. It would just be about, you know, getting a launch that actually would get more than just gamers. Yep. Because you'll get the fantasy football people, you'll get the NFL heads. And that could be huge. Well, remember, I talked about that Xbox, uh, that, that Madden bundle that's going to come with the NFL Sunday ticket. Now, imagine you buy that, you get the Sunday ticket, and you have the whole Xbox One entertainment experience. Dude, they would, they, they would, they would crush it out of the gate. And again, if, if the Xbox is ready... If it's ready, because we don't need any more red ring shit. True. But they should absolutely. I mean, they should absolutely do that. Nobody. Again, w- I, I mean, it's like. Go ahead. The way I'm looking at Xbox One now, it's kind of like living in New York and being a Knicks fan. It's like you want them to win so badly. Just because, just, you know, being an American, you, you would like an American company to be great. But it's like, they just keep doing this shit. Yep. Definitely. Like, I would love for, to, to be, you know, anticipating the Xbox One right now. But with what they show me, I'm just not. It's right. like, they need to come out the gate at E3 and show me Crackdown 3, Left 4 Dead 3, where I'm going to get at least some free DLC because Steam, the way, you know, PC gamers get shit, we just get fucked. And I'm trying to think of some other game that I have on Xbox that I can't get on PS3. And I'm really having a lot of time right now. There you go. But, okay, let's put it this way. Since they have such a lovely relationship with EA, apparently, give me another burnout. Another burnout would be solid. So burnout six, crackdown three, left for dead three, where you get more than four fucking missions. So that's the other thing with left for dead three. I'd like a left for dead three that's made more like a dead island, where it is, you know, a lengthy game. Where I can't play through the whole damn thing in a night. Oh, it's it's you know it's gonna it's it's definitely gonna be insane and I, if, if and it won't happen. But dude, if they did E three and and Microsoft said yeah, you'll be able to pick up the Xbox One, you know, August eighteenth, dude, it would be insane. It would be insane, and it's like. Give me, and this is speaking strictly for myself, anybody who disagrees or feels differently, that's fine, but this is me, because it's my money to pay on the Xbox and nobody else's. Give me some of your exclusives that aren't fucking FPSs. Give me something that I actually want. I don't give a shit about Halo. I don't give a shit about Gears of War. I'm not trying to take anything for those, from those games, but it's not my thing. Right. Because the big draw for those games is multiplayer, and I can't play multiplayer games where I got to deal with a bunch of screaming little kids. I understand that. 
Well, so I mean, like, make show me one of those new IPs and make it something that I'm dying to play. I understand that Xbox loves to give people the live experience, but how how about giving me a brand new IP exclusive to the Xbox that has a great single player experience, even if you got multiplayer? Because the thing is, here's the boy Halo. Nobody gives a shit about the single player experience. They just can't wait to freaking chainsaw somebody to death or curb stomp them. Right. Can I get something like like The Last of Us? Can I get a brand new single player IP on the Xbox that really entices me? Right. Because the thing is, even the people who play multiplayer frequently, sometimes, <laughs> I was going to say like to play with themselves. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Sometimes, you know, there's times where, you know, okay, take myself when I do play multiplayer because I don't want to play with screaming kids. I like to play with my friends. At 4 o'clock in the morning, people aren't necessarily awake. Right. So give me a game that I don't have to play with my friends. True. I understand that. Because sometimes I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and I want to play some fucking games. No, you're not wrong, dude. But, you know, it's it, it, E3 is not that far away, so we'll see what happens. If they give us a release date, we're one of the one of those systems is bound to, to show their hand and, and give a release date. It's a, it's a matter of who strikes first. I mean, I would love to see somebody make a game that, you know, would stand up to, like, GTA V. And before Strider even answers, no, not fucking so, um, Saints Row 4. Fuck that game. Well, we shall see. Anything else you need to add, my friend? No, nah, not for gaming. All right, my dude. Let's get. Let me take it right into this entertainment. And if anything, just call in if you have anything to add. All right, no problem, bro. All right, brother. Peace. Oh, slick, slick as usual. Poses a lot of interesting points. Like I said, E3 is right around the corner, and like I, someone's definitely showing their hand. Simple as that. Anyway, that's gonna wrap up our gaming for this week. We're going to get right into this week's entertainment news because there is quite a bit to discuss and it's already 1.30 Eastern Standard Time so let's try and and finish the show on time with no OT. In the event we do go into overtime, of course, you can follow the feed via the Mixler audio and probably the GFQ audio if Suncast gives us the, uh, the okay for the OT. Anyway, let's get into this week's entertainment news. Let's get the ball rolling with some WWE news, which happened to comprise just one of the many what-the-fuck movie news stories for this week. Um, WWE Studios released a press release um, acknowledging 
that they will be partnering with Warner Brothers to create a straight-to-DVD Flintstones animated film. In the movie, John Cena and CM Punk and other WWE superstars will voice prehistoric versions of themselves. The film is expected to be released in 2015. Pretty much the plot synopsis is Fred Barney and the whole Bedrock gang join up with Vince McMagma and WWE superstars and divas including John Cena Stone and CM Punk Rock as part of the very first WWE main event. I kid you not. That is 100% truth. Um, Michael Luisi, president of WWE Studios, said the following. WWE is a family-friendly entertainment company, so partnering with Warner Brothers on a Flintstones WWE project with a natural extension of our Scooby-Doo deal. This new animated feature allows us to showcase our brand with young fans and loyal Flintstone enthusiasts alike. I can't even be mad at this because think about it. John Cena, one of the most kid-friendly superstars out there, already on the box of Fruity Pebbles, now appearing in the Flintstones. I'm not shocked in the least. And you know what the crazy thing is? Kids are going to eat this up. And from Warner Brothers, excuse me, from Warner Brothers standpoint, they're going to end up in the driver's seat because it gets the Flintstones franchise to a brand new audience. Sure, it's probably going to be a coaster or, or whatever, but strategically, it'll probably make some decent money. <clears throat> Excuse me. It'll probably make some decent money. Come on, who doesn't want to see John Cena Stone and CM Punk Rock? <laughs> but it gets it gets better. Lionsgate and WWE Studios have found a director for their Leprechaun reboot, which I mentioned a couple of months back, with Hornswoggle playing Le- the Leprechaun. The director's Zach Lipovsky, who was a visual effects specialist and was a finalist on the Fox reality show On the Lot. Of course, Dylan Postel, who many of you know as Hornswoggle, will be playing the title character, which was originally played by Warwick Davis in the 1993 original. This film, of course, will be a reboot and will not connect the previous Leprechaun mythology in any way. It's going to be a little darker, shocker there, and a more traditional horror film. So there you have it in this week's uh, first bit of What the Fuck Movie News, WWE Studios and the Flintstones, and the Leprechaun reboot is moving forward. Last week we were talking about Tom Cruise being in the film adaptation of The Man from Uncle, being directed by Guy Ritchie. Seems that Tom Cruise has dropped out of the project, which he was going to be co-starring with Army Hammer, and he dropped out because he's going to be working on Mission Impossible 5. All signs now point to, according to Variety, for Henry Cavill, of course, Superman. Um, He'll be taking the role of Napoleon Solo opposite Army Hammer's Ilya Kurikin. So we'll see how that works. Uh, Both characters, of course, are operatives of the United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. If you've never seen The Man from UNCLE, probably if you watch Nick at Night, you'll be able to check out reruns of that. Um, Honestly, I don't I don't. I don't mind this at all for a couple of reasons. Tom Cruise obviously focusing his energies energies on Mission Impossible 5, which is a tried and true franchise, which is going to generate a ton of money for him, or risking it on a new reboot of a film that even though Guy Ritchie did a great job with Sherlock Holmes, is something that has been untested and is unfamiliar to most audiences that aren't of a certain age. 
Let's be honest. I mean, The Man from Uncle, I watched it on Nick at Night a couple of times on reruns, and that's about that's about the most knowledge I have of it. To to be quite honest, the 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 Man from Uncle, I believe. Let's see if I'm right. The Man from Uncle was the first episode was September twenty second, nineteen sixty four. The final episode aired January fifteenth, nineteen sixty eight. The character of Napoleon Solo in that episode in that show was played by Robert Vaughn and David McCallum played Ilya uh, Kuryakin. So, with that said, I you got a show that basically had a shelf life from the early 60s to almost the 70s. Uh, a lot of people won't be familiar with that. I'm, I'm being quite honest. So, to have Tom Cruise take a gamble on this franchise when he can make this guaranteed money on Mission Impossible 5... I honestly think it's smart thinking on Cruz's part, but who knows? We'll see. Henry Cavill's stock is rising quite a bit due to his work in The Man of Steel. We'll see how that pans out when The Man of Steel hits theaters June 14th. But, I mean, you get a younger guy, you could pay him a little less. I mean, opposite Army Hammer, who's starting to gain some traction in Hollywood with his work in The Lone Ranger. Who knows? Maybe it's better to, to give it to, to the young guns and see how they fare. We shall see what happens. On the box office front, of course, it's a no-brainer that Fast and Furious 6 destroyed the box office Memorial Day weekend, making $98.5 million. Coming in at number two was The Hangover Part 3. Also, Star Trek Into Darkness taking the number three spot. Epic was number four. Iron Man 3 was number five. The Great Gatsby was six. And um, Mud was seven. 42 was 8, The Croods was 9, and Oblivion was 10. So there you have it. Solid, solid turnout. Of course, Fast and Furious 6, our review is on MyTakeRadio.com. And um, The Hangover 3, I know a lot of people, they pretty much, Opie from Opie and Anthony said it best. Same old shit, but with a giraffe. So make of it what what you will. I mean, the numbers, you know, they don't lie. And even the actors themselves acknowledge that more people just clearly wanted to see Fast and Furious 6, which gave Universal their best opening in, in recent memory. I mean, it was, it was you know, number one across the board. It made $177 million overseas. Their worldwide take right now is $275.5 million. Fast Five originally bought an $86.2 million and $85.7 in its international opening. That film... Uh, you know, the, the Fast and Furious 6 film had a budget of $160 million. They've already broke well beyond even and are already in the profitability standpoint from their worldwide total. So definitely solid work in that regard. Iron Man 3, of course, as I mentioned last week, billion-dollar franchise, um, already $1.1 billion worldwide. It is now the fifth highest grossing film of all time and the seventh highest grossing film of all time internationally. So there you have it. Tony Stark definitely is tops in the box office. Of course, this gives Robert Downey Jr. even more leverage for his work in the Avengers 2 as well as his work in any potential Iron Man sequels. All right, the next bit of what the fuck movie news I'm sure is going to get Strider's attention and he's going to have a laugh 
Because get this, the Sunday Times is reporting that Jessica Chastain, Amanda Seyfried, Scarlett Johansson, and Reese Witherspoon are all being considered to possibly play secretary, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in a biopic. The film is called Rodham and will focus on 1974 when she was a Washington lawyer. And they're looking to release it sometime during the 2016 presidential election, which, of course, all signs are pointing towards Hillary Clinton being a candidate. So there you have it. Jessica Chastain, Amanda Seyfried, Scarlett Johansson and Reese Witherspoon are being considered to play Hillary Clinton. As far as I know, none of those ladies have big ass calves. That's all I know about Hillary Clinton, other than, you know, being Bill's wife and secretary of state and running against Obama. I know that she's got some big ass calves that I do know. So maybe one of these skinny chicks can get some calf implants to really make the role their very own. (laughs) I kid, I kid. Seriously, though, let's think about this. You're going to do a biopic on Hillary Clinton and you think for one second people are going to go and pay legit money to watch this. Don't get me wrong. she's She has her place in history. But Abe Lincoln biopic, okay. George Washington biopic, all right. Abe Lincoln vampire hunter, no problem. Hillary Rodham Clinton, yeah. Seriously. Slick does make a valid point in the, fa- in the sense that they did go to see the Margaret Thatcher movie and they did go to see a movie, you know, a movie based on the Queen of England. I understand that, but seriously, a Hillary Clinton movie, I have my doubts. <laughs> Strider is on fire in the chat. I'm not even going to get into it. So, it's been a while, but I did want to talk about 007 in that it looks like all signs are pointing towards Sam Mendes going back to do the next James Bond film. Um, basically it looks like Sony and MGM have enticed him back, which is pretty much, here's a shitload of money. Please make another one. We all know Sam Mendes work in, in Skyfall was tremendous. It's one of the, it's being hailed as one of the best films in the James Bond's friend in the James Bond's 50 year franchise. It's made a $1.1 billion worldwide. I mean, it's, it's an incredible incentive for Sony and MGM to get him back. And Skyfall was just tremendous. I love I have a soft spot for all James Bond films, but Skyfall definitely was up there in terms of favorites. I mean, I'm a big fan of the old Sean Connery stuff, Goldfinger being one of my favorites, and um, I was also a fan of License to Kill with Timothy Dalton, don't judge me, but Skyfall definitely really stamped, um, you know, it it really stamped this new James Bond as being one of the best. Daniel Craig was amazing in the movie. Sam Mendes was awesome. And of course, the uh, Skyfall track was all over the radio that summer. Well, we'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to the next Bond film. I know Daniel Craig, I believe, is signed on for four. So, again, with $1.1 billion in the bank already and you know the, the accolades that it's received, it, it would be foolish of, of Sam Mendes to not come back and do that film. But... We'll see what happens. As soon as I hear more news, I will share it with you guys. So it wouldn't, you know, I haven't brought this film up in a long time. This particular series of films, because they, they are either hated guilty pleasures or just considered complete shit. And um, the casting in this particular film is just very strange. And that ladies and gentlemen is, 
is the Human Centipede Part 3 final sequence. Entertainment Weekly is reporting that Eric Roberts, who you guys have seen in The Dark Knight, The Expendables, Doctor Who, Heroes, Best of the Best, will be in a starring role in the Human Centipede 3. He is joining, get this, Tiny Lister, Robert Lasardo, and former adult film star Brie Olsen in this film, which is allegedly going to conclude the extremely controversial franchise. What the hell are they paying Eric Roberts that he's attaching his name to the Human Centipede 3 look? I saw the first Human Centipede film. It was a guilty pleasure. The second one was so weird and so crazy that I think I watched it twice. And even the second time, I was just I was just dumbfounded at some of the shit they did. But to do a third film and convince some of these actors to, to, to get a payday? Damn, they, they, they must be giving them box office rights video rights and a shitload of money especially for eric roberts he's not he's not a terrible actor in the least he's all right you know he does a lot of straight to video shit but he's he's not the worst actor in the world but to include him and as strider said eric roberts and debo in the human centipede it's just it really is a lame joke strider i do have to agree but it is what it is as soon as I get a release date and I get a chance to see it, I will definitely review it for the site, whether as a Netflix Q review or as something, but um, it, it, it's got to happen. Human Centipede 3 with Eric Roberts? Count me in. Glenn Close has been announced as the newest addition to the Guardians of the Galaxy cast. Of course, she joins Chris Pratt, Batista, Zoe Zaldana, Michael Rooker, Ophelia Lovebond, and Lee Pace in the James Gunn adaptation of the Marvel's of the space Marvel epic. So here's, here's the thing with that Marvel's quote unquote space universe or etc. has, has a crazy cast of characters. One of my favorites being Rom, the space Knight, but that's a separate story all its own. But guardians of the galaxy, of course, is going to kind of be part of the, the bigger phase two Marvel universe. And the interesting thing with Glenn Close's casting is that she is said to be playing a leadership role in the Nova Corps. A lot of you guys know that Nova was a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy and the current Nova, Richard Ryder, is is a big part of that story, but has not yet been indicated as being part of this film. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Glenn Close as a leader of the Nova Corps. Maybe they're, they're going to tease a Nova appearance or maybe they're going to start preparing a, a separate film for it. But it's definitely interesting from a plot standpoint. Guardians of the Galaxy hits theaters August 1st, 2014. And I, like I said, I'm very interested in seeing if they're going to really start touching on the Nova Corps. And if so, what their involvement will be in the overall scope of the Marvel Universe. This next bit of what the fuck movie news is going to trip out a lot of people. Thank you, Slick. Uh, the current Nova is Sam Alexander, right? That is true. I haven't I haven't watched any of the new cartoons with Nova in them, especially the Spider-Man stuff, because I know he's popped up there. I've only seen bits and pieces, and I didn't even know that it was Sam Alexander in that costume. I still thought it was Richard Ryder, so props to Slick for schooling me on that anyway this next bit of what the fuck movie news get this deadline is reporting that grumpy cat the popular internet meme that of course won meme of the year for the 2013 webby awards will be getting its own movie i kid you not 
basically the way they want to do it, they want to do Grumpy Cat the same style as Garfield, which will be Grumpy Cat being able to talk in the films. So there you have it. It is the end of days as as Grumpy Cat is coming to screens sooner rather than later. It's it's insane. It is definitely insane. Um, right now, they're looking to, to really get this out there and fast track it sooner rather than later. Um, of course, Grumpy Cat's Facebook has over 930,000 likes and a weekly reach of over 2 million. Of course, the YouTube channel has over 120,000 subscribers and 20 million views. Not not including counterships with Frisky, um, partnerships with Friskies, and also merchandise in Walmart, Hot Topic, Think Geek, and other stores. The license for this is just—it's just a cash cow. So the movie is a no-brainer. Will it be good? Who knows? But at this, at considering the shit that Hollywood puts out. I'm not shocked about this in the least. In some small screen news to close out this week's show, uh, the Hannibal's TV series is being renewed for a second season. I will go on record as saying that I thought that a Hannibal Lecter TV series on broadcast television would suck, but I was pleasantly surprised at how good it was and how it's getting a second season. So there you have it. I see that Slick also has some stuff he wants to add, so let me bring him in so we can close out this week's show. Come on, Switchboard. Slick, what's up? What do you got? Yeah, man, I I um, was talking about Marvel, and I read some stuff today that kind of blew my mind, no pun intended. Let's hear it. Uh, well, we all know by now that DC put it into Damian Wayne a few months ago. Right. It seems that in um, Justice League of America number four, they killed off another major character. Ah, in, yes. In quite the brutal fashion. Yes, someone got someone got the double tap to the dome. This is yeah, a spo- this is a spoiler. It's a spoiler alert. Yep. But, uh, Catwoman got a bullet clean through her head, and they showed it. Yep. That kind of freaked me out. I'm like, I thought they kind of, you know, would censor out violence of that degree. But no, they showed her get the bullet through her head. Well, the way the thing with the thing with something like that with the death of Catwoman is she, her role. You know, Catwoman's been been you know Selena Kyle. And, you know, a couple of different ladies have worn the costume. So I'm sure this is, you know, a major DC plot device as usual. But as as always with DC, they always try to get these deaths that will definitely get people buzzing. I do commend them by not leaking it out early and kind of taking the wind out of the sails. When I found out about it, I was like, holy shit, that's that's pretty big because that's a character you wouldn't think in the least, especially with with her with her stature in you know the Batman mythology that she'd be a character that'd be taken out. Exactly. The Damian Wayne thing, you even know, though they killed him, it was it was it was very well done. The the, the book itself. Man, I, I don't know all the details because like I just happened to read something this morning and but it's um. The only thing I say, because you know, I say nobody really dies in comics, except Uncle Ben. <laughs> there appear to be 
in the current uh, New 52 universe, two people running around with Catwoman. So whether it's actually Selena left to be said, but still, I, I put up the the panel in the chat. It's it's uh, not something you think you would normally see in a comic book, at least not one of the, the two major um, brands. I could see something like this in, like, Image or, or Dark Horse, but to see it in a DC comic is just out there for me. I agree. It definitely was something was something different. I, you know, I, I personally have been very impressed with DC just trying to, to kind of wave their own flag in the sense that they're trying to do stuff that's a little controversial, a little out of the box, but it gets people talking, which, of course, gets comics sold, and that's, that's the name of the game right now. But I will say the death of Damian Wayne, even though it was spoiled by the press, it was still so, so well done and so well executed. Not only that, but it just, I really enjoyed it because it it humanized Batman in, in that panel. Well, something like this is bound to send Batman off in a rage. Definitely. So, I mean, with Damian Wayne, you could, you know, as everybody uh, speculates, throw his ass in a Lazarus pit. Something like that's not going to happen for Catwoman. This is very true. It makes me it makes me actually want to go and pick up the book now. <laughs> well, I've been reading it. I'm just a little bit behind, and I, I definitely have to catch up. So I want to see what's going on with that part of the story. And, um, but definitely anybody who's read the new 52 issue of Catwoman number one would see that this wouldn't sit too well with the Dark Knight. Hell no, especially with, uh, some, some, some sexual activity that's going on in that book. Just a bit. Just a bit. Anything else you need to add, my friend? Uh... The only other thing, uh, anybody who is into comics or anime, you might want to check out um, a relatively new show called, it's an anime called Attack on Titan, which might be hard to find by its English title. I'm trying to post the Japanese title because I don't want to mess it up. But, yeah, that that'd be something to check out, especially anybody who's been a fan of shows like Evangelion. It's a, it's a freaky ass show. Awesome. I'll try. I'll try and see if I can come across it and take a peek. All right, man. That's it for me. All right, brother. Thanks again. All right. I'll talk to you later. Peace. All right. So with that, we actually are bringing this week's MTR to a close. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Our First MTR on GFQ, and the um, you know, it went off without a hitch, so definitely got to thank Ben and Slick for giving me the assist tonight, especially uh, as we embark on a new journey with uh, our friends over at the GFQ Network. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's show. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 186 for Thursday, May 30th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at 
MyTakeRadio.com. You can also look for us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. Become a fan on Facebook. Look for us there. Add us to your circle on Google+. Also, look for us on Pinterest. And if you want to check out some of the My Take Radio video content, including past episodes, you can go to My Take Radio TV on YouTube or look for My Take Radio TV on Daily Motion. If you're a gamer and a fan of or a fan of video games in general, you can also look for My Take Radio on Twitch TV as well. It's My Take Radio underscore TV on Twitch TV. We play retro games, new games, and um, we also try and have a little fun there with some commentary and things like that. I'm going to try and stream more often. It's just something that with the with with the amount of time in my day sometimes kind of falls by the wayside. As for those of you that are tuning in on the GFQ network and are only listening to audio, rest assured, we will be doing video in the near future. Until then, on behalf of myself, Slick, Ben, the Buried Boys, Quark and Blade, Andrea, and the rest of the MTR family, I bid you guys good evening. Catch you guys next week. I'm out of here. Peace. Taking us out will be Kratos's God of War, Born of Ashes, available on ocremix.org in their Heroes and Villains soundtrack. <laughs>